So, okay, this wasn't notes for Susan. You didn't have this? Okay. No, okay. Oh, yeah, that's for, that's for the, yeah, that's for B- VBS. I just looked at the bottom line. It was a dead giveaway. Please ask the kids not to open rolls. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay. I thought, well, it could be this class, you know, become like children. I thought maybe you guys are taking Jesus literally and we're just calling you kids now. <laughs> look at you. Obedient little classroom, you. <laughs> you guys look awesome. Amen. Unless you become like children. I said this a lot in this school so far. When he talks about children and childlike, I just always think of the word innocence. Amen? Am I missing a joke or something? What? <laughs> Come on, I knew I was missing something. He's sitting there <laughs> sucking his thumb. Get out. God, you're good. Isn't Jesus amazing? You know, you got to believe that first, and then you start to seek him, and he starts to reveal himself, and it's really true. Jesus is amazing. Just like Martha said, you can reach out and just begin to love somebody when he becomes love in your own life and real. You really got something to give. Amen? I want to go to Matthew 10. I tried to, I started there. Now, I got, I got a lot of questions yesterday, so I took them. I took them. I really did, and I'm not upset about that. That's good. I don't get upset anyway, but you know what I mean by that. I'm not second-guessing that, but today I really want to establish some words. So try to hold your questions for a little bit. I want to, I want to get, it's Thursday, right? And there's something I feel like we need to accomplish here as far as word-based. And then I want to do more training next week. More training and teaching on walking in these truths. But I want to establish the truth. I want you to see how much the word says what we're saying. And what we're talking about the kingdom and healing. And, and I just want you to see how much scripture is like everywhere. And especially unlimited stuff. We read a couple already, but there's stuff that just has no limitation to it. And it's Jesus that said it all. (laughs) What? He's smiling at that phone. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Let's go to Matthew 10. Let's pick up where we left off yesterday. Well, we didn't leave off there. We just... We kind of started there. I made some comments and I know I provoke questions sometimes. I do. Do I? Are you serious? I'm meeting with you after today, right? You're on the carpet. You and your husband directly after class in the side room. I am. I really am though. No, it's all, all, it's all good. Thank you, God. As you go, preach saying, verse 7, Matthew 10. Thank you, Father. Let revelation come. Let our hearts see and understand. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's release our faith in something before we teach. Look at Luke 24 real quick. This just came in my spirit. This is good. Just going to release our faith as we pray something. You know you can even pray and get religious. Just pray because you're opening the service. You don't want to do that. Luke 24, Jesus just raised from the dead. They're pretty freaked out. You would be too. I would have been too because they, they just were freaked out, right? Because they weren't expecting it. When he would say he was raised from the dead, they didn't even hear him because death's a finality. They were 
consumed by the fear of death. So he comes, behold my hands and feet, and he shows him in verse 39 and 40. He showed his hands and feet because he had asked him to touch him. Oh, it's neat too. He says, the spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as I have, verse 39. There's reasons he's saying this stuff, guys. Behold my hands and feet. See, I wasn't, man, it's dangerous to go places. There's so much in the Bible. I just wanted to show you one little thing here. (laughs) This is so good. I'm looking here, I'm going, oh my goodness. Behold my hands and feet. It is I myself. Look, handle me and see for a spirit. Why would he have this in the Bible? Why is he saying this? Why is he doing this? And why isn't he a spirit raised from the dead? You know, you watch the kids' cartoons and somebody comes up from the dead and they're like, ooh, and they're a spirit. They're like a ghost, right? Didn't you grow up seeing that your whole life from TV and kids' shows and stuff? Watch this. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as I have. So after he raised from the dead, did he still have flesh and bone? That's amazing. Why is that important? Because he's still a man. It's simple. He's still a man and he wants you to see that. Hey guys, he wants you to know that. He's going to the right hand. He's going up to the heavenly sanctuary as a man, not a spirit. So that he can represent all men to the Father. So a man today, as we're teaching, a man is in the holy place with his blood on the mercy seat sitting at the right hand of God, representing all men. So he's our mediator. He's a mediation for us. So through Christ, that's why through Christ we can go to the Father. It's just amazing. A man in heaven representing all men on earth. Isn't it important if he says, touch me? I'm not a spirit, I have flesh and bone. And he's our high priest. We can maybe get into that. You guys understand what I'm saying? Or are you confused? It's amazing. Perfect blood, pure blood, holy blood, perfect man, sitting on behalf of all men, making us complete. So all we have to do is come to him by faith. So the love of the Father for us is revealed through the Son. But anyway, down here, verse 44, he's like, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you and all things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. So Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all bore witness of Jesus, true? Now look at verse 45. This is all I wanted you to see. Yeah, I just got caught up in verse 39. I was like, oh! See how fun reading your Bible can be? He's sitting at home, and you know what when that gets touches your heart and you begin to talk to the Lord about it he'll make it real to you look and he opened what did he do he opened their understanding that they might now who wants that right now if he did that for them come on a lot of what we go through and the way we live and our soul and our mind, our feelings, our emotions, the frustration, the stuff, the, uh, it, a lot of it is just what we fail to see and understand. It's our view of life. wonder if he would just come and open up our understanding and we ask him to do that today because if he did it for them and he's raised from the dead and he's not partial, he'll do it for us, won't he? Who really sincerely would be sitting on their bed reading this or on their couch or their chair or just reading this, or driving in your car, listening to a Bible study, and hear that scripture and say, wow, I want that. Amen? So let's pray that right now.
Father, we believe today that, that the exact way you open their understanding, you open ours. And we thank you, Lord, that we can see things that for whatever reason we haven't been able to see. That down inside our own heart, things would click and make sense. Not just our mind, God, but our heart. Down inside our heart, we would see with eyes of understanding. And Father, we thank you for that grace. We appreciate it. You're so loving that you would come and be willing to open men's understanding that it's important to you. That you're on the earth in a body opening understanding. That to me is amazing. Thank you. You could be sitting up in heaven being cynical, complaining, judging the earth. But you're not like that. <laughs> you're God the Father. And we thank you. And Jesus, thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's go for it. Amen. So as you go, preach saying what? The kingdom, Matthew 10, 7, sorry. I was all way ahead of you guys. <laughs> you guys slow this morning. You know, no prophetic, nothing going on, huh? <laughs> A little prophetic assignment. You need to know the next verse I'm going to, so be there when I get there. Okay, we'll see who gets it. As you go, <laughs> preach saying what? The kingdom of God is where? It's near, it's at hand, it's within reach, it has drawn near. Remember, had Jennifer stand up, had her stand two feet away, said, hey, the kingdom's near you. Why? Because it's in us. Simple illustration. The kingdom of God's here. The kingdom of God is in people. God's not way out there somewhere. He's in us. Now watch. Jesus said, don't look here. Don't go looking there. For the kingdom of God is within you. And then he tells them to go say the kingdom of God is here. Where is it? It's inside. You're going to understand as we look at these scriptures today. That's why, that's why we are privileged to lay hands on the sick. Why would you lay hands on the sick? Why would it matter? God's God. Just come and heal him, God. Because he made Adam in his image and said, tend and keep the earth, subdue the earth. Keep the earth. We've turned it into God. Why did you allow? God, why are you letting? God, where have you been? <laughs> Didn't we grow up thinking that way? How many people have you heard with attitudes towards God? <laughs> And we're the clay, and he's the potter. It's a sad day. Presumptuous, presuming, misunderstanding. A lot of times it's not evil, it's just we just haven't been taught. That Jesus is a good teacher. If we would really get in here and read what he said, we'd understand. Is Jesus telling these guys to go preach the kingdoms here? Now, some people stumble. They say, well, Dan, you, you, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to this small group of men. Well, look at the end of the chapter quick. Keep your place there in Matthew 10, but look at chapter 28. I'm just going to flow as I hear questions in people's hearts. We're going to answer them, see. But I can just get the word accomplished here. Look at verse 18. Jesus is raised from the dead. It's amazing. Romans 4 said he raised for our justification. Justification means just as if you've never sinned. Whoa. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, watch what he said, all, how much? All. 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Whoa. Go therefore. Well, what's that have to do with them? He makes this statement, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You go therefore. Why? Because we're in him and he's in us. We're one. We're the body of Christ. He's not seeing us apart from him. So he says, look, all authority is given to me. Well, it's given to you. Why don't you go? No, he said, you go. Look, right on the heels of this statement, you got to catch this stuff in your Bible, man. It's so exciting. It's ridiculous. All authority has been given to me, so go. Do you see this? Because we're one with him. We're the body of what? Christ means anointing. So we're the embodiment of the anointing. That, now whose term is that? Did we come up with that term and make that term? Or did we find that in the Bible? What am I reading here? 18. Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. That's the message Bible. It's really good. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by the baptism in the spirit. Well, in the family, probably. Is that what it says? What's it say? Marking them in the... There you go. Yeah, it's in the family. Amen? Watch this. Go, therefore, why? Because all authority has been given to Jesus. So he came and took back. I could take you to Luke 4, where Jesus was tempted by the devil, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, and he said, all these I'll give to you if you'll bow down and worship me, for they've all been handed over to me, and I can give them to anybody I want. Luke 4 says that. Right? Who knows that's in there? Luke 4. Satan says, I'll give them to you. They've all been handed over to me. Well, who handed them over to the, who handed the glory of all the kingdoms and who handed all that over to Satan? Adam, when he followed Eve and ate the tree. So Jesus comes as the second Adam. Right? Last, second. They both have great significance. Well, if you look at First Adam, second Adam, first Adam, last Adam. Martha, Martha always gets me on that one. She's always in the, she does it all the time. <laughs> last second, if you understand, if you keep your, your understanding of Christianity this simple, let me just love Martha today and say first Adam, last Adam. If you take, not that I didn't love you yesterday. First Adam, last Adam and you understand that you were born into the first Adam, so the last Adam came so you could be born again. And everything you were born into before Christ was the fall of man. Every mindset, everything, void of, void of God. But the last Adam entitles you to the kingdom and reinstates you to the first Adam before the tree. I lived my whole life, I was 33 and went to church my whole life and nobody ever even scratched the surface of that and told me that my whole life. Since then, been free every day, full of joy and have seen miracles and healings in people's lives transformed because of that one thing that was hidden. One thing. So I just went to church because it was the Christian thing to do. 
Uh, so we build buildings everywhere and pay homage to God. Uh, our, and we bow our heads and say grace and stuff. And the whole time we're doing that, the kingdom is inside of us. Uh. <laughs> Man, I feel this thing. Yeah. Do you know, I was just thinking, I was praying yesterday. I was jogging. It was late. I had a tight schedule yesterday. I got running about 7.30. I ran hard. I was pumped because I was reminiscing. But in the last two weeks, I was connected with or directly involved in couple tumors disappearing, a cancer being healed, several body parts shifting and moving, bones aligning. Just in the last two weeks, I was running my mind through all the things I experienced. You know why? Because this one thing I'm preaching, this one truth that was swept under the rug. Do you know how people, good people that don't understand that go to church will fight this message and not even understand what they're fighting, something so good. It's what makes the news good. <laughs> Gospel means good news. Come on, if you're going to fight the good about the news, why preach the news? <laughs> then you just might as well turn on Fox 43 or something. Because <laughs> it's news, but there's nothing good. It's just another station. You follow me? Okay, I better regroup here. <laughs> Go therefore and make what? Uh-oh. So Jesus has poured himself into these men for about three years. He's men, made these men one with him through the cross. Acknowledges that all authority has been given to him. He is so one with them. Do you realize when he was struck, they all scattered? Do you realize Peter denied him and so did all the other men because they all took off too? Do you realize they all loved their own lives more than Jesus? And do you see Jesus didn't change and didn't give up on them and didn't write them off and when he raised from the dead, he went right to them. And he's like, I can't believe you guys booked on me. Peter, what were you thinking? He didn't say any of that, did he? Instead, the authority that he has, he gave them. Do you understand that's what's happening here? We're going to see it a couple other places. If all authority is given to him and we're going in his name, what authority are we going in? All authority. The authority of Jesus. Now watch. Now he's talking to his disciples. Go therefore and... Oh my goodness, he wants them to be... To reproduce... Be fruitful and, was that the command in Genesis? This is the beginning here because they're born again. This is the beginning. Do you understand? This is like Genesis when God brought Adam up out of the dirt. John 20, Jesus breathed into his disciples. Genesis chapter 1, God breathed into Adam. The first Adam failed, the last Adam I understand. The last Adam did the same thing to us. 
as the Son of Man, Son of God. He repainted the beginning, the picture, what was lost, that breath, what was lost when man sinned, Jesus restored when he raised from the dead. And the first thing he did, John 20, raised from the dead, is breathe back into his guys. It's Genesis chapter 1. It's powerful. People say men wrote the book. <laughs> it's so incredible. So what's he saying? Once again, the life and spirit of God can live inside of men. So now, he says to Adam in the garden, be fruitful and... What's he saying here? Be fruitful and multiply. Everything I've imparted to you, everything I've put inside of you, everything that I've given you, go make men the same. Isn't he saying that? Oh, so this isn't about going to Sunday service and just living a peaceful life. It's about being fruitful and multiplying. It's not about paying homage to God. It's about manifesting the kingdom, isn't it? Watch this. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, now here's what I want you to see. Because it's not limited to these 11 guys. Well, it's actually 12 now because of that fellow they added before Jesus raised from the dead, Matthias. Teaching them, look what they're supposed to do. Teaching them to observe how many things? Oh my goodness. That's a, that's a good word. My Bible says all things. I like the word everything. Does your Bible say that? Oh, good. What translation is that? NIV. Everything. Teaching them to observe all things, everything that I have commanded who? You. Which means this. If he's talking to Peter, James, and John, he's talking to me. Now, who grew up here in, well, that was for the disciples. Do you hear how these strategies, mindsets creeped in along the way? When if you really read your Bible, I don't even know where we get that stuff. Well, yeah, but he's talking to the disciples, Dan. Right. Teach the new disciples everything that I've commanded you. So if it was a green light for Peter, James, and John, and he taught them to do something, then they're to teach us the same. Did you just read that? True? Now watch. Are we sitting here today because they obeyed and went and made disciples? Absolutely. So is he talking to us? Yeah. How simple is this thing? We've reduced it to religion and tradition in so many circles. And Jesus is a life-giving spirit. It's amazing. And though, lo, I am what? With you always to the end of the... Why do he say that? So that nobody would say anything's changed. Nothing has changed. It's 2011 and this is true. <laughs> Oh, this is so fun to me. <laughs> See, it's just really good. Do you know if you don't believe what we're teaching, you'll be reduced to just Bible studies. You'll just let your knowledge take the place of knowing him and you'll just be intrigued by the Bible and you'll just sit in Bible studies that teach topics. You see, wow, that's cool. Oh, that's interesting. And your knowledge could actually puff you up. It's love that edifies. Who hears love in all this, what Jesus is saying? 
Jesus said, man, I created you for a purpose to bear witness of my image. Even though you lost that through the fall, I took the fall, rose from the dead to get it back inside of you. Now go do what you were created to do, bear witness of my image. You get it? Oh, it's just, it's, you're going to see it's everywhere. There's no way around it. The Bible is so all-inclusive. You have to be careful that you don't think more than you search out the word of God. That's what a lot of folks end up doing. They think and talk more than they look at the word of God. You have to be careful not to do that. The Bible says be slow to anger, slow to speak, slow to anger, and quick to listen. That's a big deal. As you preach, say, the kingdom of God is here. Now, what's the very next thing he says? Heal the sick. Why? Because it's all part of the kingdom. So if you're to preach the kingdoms here and heal the sick, then the expression of the kingdom is the restoration of man. Healing the sick. Cleansing. Healing what sick? Does, does it say the sick that I ordain to be healed? The sick that I'm choosing to heal? The sick that I will to heal? Or does he say the sick? Does he say the sick? Unless, of course, it's a sickness I'm using to build character in their life. Does he say that? What sick does he say? Is this a command? Is he telling the disciples to do this? So in Matthew 28, when he says command, teach them to do all the things I commanded you. Does this qualify? Wow. Heal the sick, cleanse what lepers? That means if they have leprosy, they qualify to be cleansed, right? Oh, this one gets us all the time because we still fear death. We're not supposed to. Hebrews 2 says we're free from the bondage of the fear of death because we have everlasting life through Christ. It's never about dying. It's about living. <laughs> see, we covet this natural life so much because we can't see bigger than it. So we incorporate Jesus into this life, hoping this life is better because this is all we see. But this life is taking us into the one that's to come. And this life will speak forever on behalf of the king if we live it and leave a legacy. Or we'll live it in fear and incorporate Jesus into this life and hope this life goes better instead of expend it for his namesake so you have a legacy when you get there. You see the difference? One's all about him and the other's all about you. That's the trap. That's why there's so much fear, anxiety, frustration, and anger on the earth, even in Christians. It proves that we don't understand why we're in him. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise what dead? God, that's like so convicting. Cast out what? Demons. Most, most of the time, we almost act like they're not real. Why do we do this? Because freely we have, what have we received freely? The kingdom. And in the kingdom is healing and the authority that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 28. Freely you have received, so freely what? Freely give. Isn't that amazing? Just flip a page or two here probably. John the Baptist comes through two disciples. Matthew 11. God, I worship you. I'm going to really just share a lot of words, so bear with me today. Don't nobody fall asleep on me. It's too exciting. The word's exciting. 
Now it came to pass, chapter 11, Matthew, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. So he's sharing the, the word. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Jesus, he sent two of his disciples. He said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? That question always stumbled me coming from John. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was, I was years ago, I was, I was years ago at YCF, I, I taught on this one night. And there was actually a missionary from the Philippines there. He came up crying and said, oh my God, you have no idea that word I needed to hear. And I said, well, I think we all needed to hear it. It just really came in my heart. But I'm thinking, how can John, why would John the Baptist ask this question? Are you the one to come? Because when he first saw him on the shore of the Jordan, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He made a public announcement. He said, who takes away the sin of the world? He declared that he must decrease and he must increase. And he said, hey, he's the one. And he, and he does it in John. He does it in Matthew. He says, he's the one the Father showed me about. I did not know who he was until I saw him. For when he came out of the water, the Spirit came upon him and remained upon him. And the Lord said, the one that the Spirit remains upon, he is the one. He's the one. Follow him. Stop following me. Didn't John do that? So did John have a revelation that Jesus was the one? Then why is he asking the question? Because he's in prison. He's in prison. And when your life's being tried, you question who God is. If he's coming to open prison doors, why am I in prison? If he's really the Christ, why does Herod have me locked up? I should be free. I'm the forerunner of the, of the prophet, of the, of the messenger, of the message. I mean, I'm, the, I'm not the forerunner, but I'm the one that was to proclaim from the wilderness, he's coming. The front runner, not forerunner, front runner. Jesus called him the greatest prophet of them all. Here he is with the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Proclaiming that he's going to open up prison doors and set people free. Jesus makes that proclamation in Luke. Behold, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. And now John, who was anointed to proclaim his coming, is in prison. How many people I've heard in the last 16 years I've been saved say, well, if he's so good, how come? Well, if God's so faithful, then why am I? Well, if it, then how? I've heard that countless, countless, countless times, that mentality. John's asking a question of something he already knows. But his life's raising the question. And you can tell in Jesus' answer that I'm not speculating that this is what happened because you'll see Jesus' answer. I want you to see the first part of Jesus' answer. When they said, are you the one that was to come? Or should we look for another? Guess what Jesus said? You go tell John the things which you hear and see. Now look at Jesus' affirmation of him being the one. And then he says, all authority is given to me. Go therefore. He says, you go preach saying, who's he saying to go? You go preach saying the kingdom's here. And what? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead and cast out devils. Isn't that what Jesus just said in the last verse we read? 
When they asked Jesus, are you the one? Guess what his testimony was? He didn't say, well, yeah, I started a church. It's really attended well. There's a lot of good things and our worship is awesome. Sorry, he just didn't say that. (laughs) Did he say that? Yeah, I'm the one. People are really attracted to me. We have great Bible studies going on. In fact, our cell groups are splitting and growing and multiplying and we're just having a great time. He didn't say anything like that. Look what he said. The blind see. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is the man. Now he's addressing, now here's how you can find out why John asked the question. Because why would he tack this on? Blessed is the man who's not offended because of me. Well, if you're so good, why am I in prison? I'm, I'm not saying that... John had that serious of an attitude, but he sure had enough question to ask it. Did he already know he was the Christ? The Bible affirms many times that he was the one that knew. And now he's asking the question. It had to be because of his circumstance. And Jesus said, blessed is the man who has no cause to stumble because of me. Isn't that amazing? So don't let life dictate who he is. Let who he is be settled in your heart so you can face life from that place. Or you're a circumstance away from falling away, being overwhelmed, questioning God. As soon as you question God, you can't trust God. As soon as you can't trust God, you can't have intimacy with God. You'd be amazed how you teach on intimacy and people say, I just can't, I just can't do that, Dan. You'd be amazed how the underlying issue is we have unresolved with God and we have questions in life and we're still accusing God without even realizing it. It's not even intentional, but we're still accusing God for things just inadvertently because of our lack of understanding and we still aren't sure who God is. We're still trying to figure him out and find him through life. You find him through his son. Y'all all all right? You guys are quiet. You're looking all, everybody's looking different directions. You're thinking or something. People looking at the floor, looking out, looking up. (laughs) Isn't it amazing John asked that question? Here's what I want you to see. Jesus' answer was the way God was flowing through his life. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead are raised up. It seems like it was important to Jesus. He brought up those things right away. That's how he affirmed who he was by the things God was doing through his life in that authority. Isn't that amazing? And blessed is he who's not offended because of me. So this is the things Jesus is doing. When he says, go preach the kingdoms here, the first thing he says on preach the kingdoms here is heal the sick. It's a direct command. The the kingdoms here, so heal the sick. Do you hear the connection, the relation? All authority has been given to me. Go therefore, because I'm in you. Come on, you can't, you can't miss this. This is like too clear. It's all through your Bible, actually. So we read the promise in Matthew 17. Let me just scan through. I'll read it real quick. If you have faith, verse 20, as a mustard seed, you, you will, you will. 
You won't pray to God. You will say to the mountain. Why? Because of this authority we're talking about. There's authority here. Because he's in us, guys, and we're his choice. You ought to get this personal with me and intimate. We're his choice. We're his choice to carry the kingdom. He made us for that. It's, it's your created value. Your house fit for a king. He made that possible. He wants to live inside of us, guys. It, I'm telling you, when you believe this, it makes for a good day. <laughs> don't be afraid you'll get like me if you believe this. Serious, don't be afraid. But I'll tell you what, it wouldn't be bad to have some joy in your heart. It wouldn't be a sad day to be able to laugh when everything's like it always is in life and really see beyond it all. It's not some flippant mystery fantasy concocted place. You just see different. You see hope for people. You see help for people. You see change in your heart. You, you don't read life face value when you understand the gospel. Or you'd walk through an airport and just cry because everybody seems lost at large. That's not the way it is. You're drawn to them and you love them. And you just know somebody has a seat beside you. And they're going to be in a seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> they can't get away. <laughs> it's just fun. <laughs> it's fun, Randy. You say, well, hi. You say, hi, how are you? They ask the dreaded question, how are you? And then you have to tell them. <laughs> or they say, so how's your day going? Or, why were you in town? Yeah. Are you heading home? Yeah. Why were you here? Yeah. It's all you need. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun. I can tell you a lot of airplane things just from the last couple of months. I haven't even flown that much, but there's always somebody beside you belted in. And Jesus loves them. Isn't that cool? So they're not a target. I'm not trying to get them saved, guys. I think that's where we went wrong. Just, we, we miss love and we miss the value of the person and we fail to convey a sincere heart to them. We're just, we have an agenda. And we're just saying, it seems right. It seems Christian. We're just trying to get them saved. I wonder if we just try to give them Jesus because we're filled with him and we love people. And our goal isn't to get them saved, it's to give them Jesus so that they have a vital encounter with the living God. And then they have to deal with that for the rest of their life or whatever. What are you going to do with a lady who comes down the stairs of the jetway bawling because she can walk for the first time since she can remember? Holds you crying hysterically in front of everybody. Hugging you, saying thank you over and over and over. And you tell her it really wasn't my fault. Jesus has always loved you. She just happened to run into somebody that believed that. It's the only responsibility I can take. wonder if that was waiting to happen the whole time. And we're mystical saying, well, divine appointment, brother. Well, if the divine one lives in us, probably every appointment's divine. Yeah. We complicate it. 
We mystify it. Therefore, we limit the move of God in our lives. Because we're waiting for bells and whistles or thunder or lightning. And love just loves. That particular lady, I was talking about another lady on a plane. The flight before who was bone on bone on her knees. And we were talking and I said, oh my goodness, I'm talking about you. And she went. And her eyes filled with tears. I said, you have the same condition. She was trembling. The gospel was making so much sense. Both these ladies were still crying out to God, but frustrated with church and refused to go to church. They said, it's an organized machine. And I've never found God there. I've just paid my money to keep their boat afloat. And I said, I'm sorry you've had that experience. I know that's out there. Church really isn't like that. And Jesus is still amazing. Let me share why he died on the cross. And I started sharing and she was undone. Because nobody ever told her that. She just thought she's a sinner. And if she doesn't go to church, she's going to hell. And she never understood she had value. It was worth the blood of Jesus. And that she's created to be a daughter. And the good news was turning her heart. And then I shared about all this stuff. God said, really? I was just on the plane with a young lady and she was like, really? I didn't think God really did that stuff. I thought that was just TV shows. It's just what she said. I said, are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I'm sharing some words. She says, really? Really? I think we ought to pray, honey. Okay. <laughs> That's so fun. But I got that lady on purpose, because people hear you talking. Yeah. I got her on purpose out into the aisle of the plane while we were flying to walk around and check herself, because I know how people are emotional. When you're that hurting, and you, she was so hurting, guys, that if she just twisted her ankle and put pressure, pain would shoot all up and down through her joint of her knee. She got out, she took three steps, Susan, three steps. <sighs> on the plate. And I'm sitting there going, oh, this is so good. <laughs> she turned and went, oh my God. I said, and then I'm a little louder than I was. Because <laughs> people are like, what are they doing? I heard him talk about Jesus. Yeah. Their ears somehow yeah. through the page. <laughs> said, isn't that awesome, honey? I told you, he's amazing. Jesus loves you so much. Oh my goodness, it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Healing's part of the kingdom. Oh, and I'm just preaching. Because <laughs> there's probably somebody sitting around me that goes to church faithfully and says God doesn't heal. There's probably somebody that says he does if he wants to. Or... <sighs> oh, I'll get growling here in a minute. <laughs> I'm not growling at people, by the way. I growl at mentalities that aren't from Jesus. They're from flesh. I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will. Who will? You will. Who will? Okay, now the you he's talking to is Peter, James, and John and them. No, right now he's talking to his little circle. 
But in Matthew 28, he told them to teach us everything he taught them. And if he's teaching them right now, then this gospel's teaching us. Make sense? Come on, it's not complicated. And lo, he is with us even till what? The end of the age. So the next time I'm flying, guess who's with me? <laughs> Do you get it? So it's still a good day for salvation, isn't it? Yay. That sure beats worrying about if your flight's on time and how long you got to wait at your connector and oh my God, I might miss my flight and oh no, and ah, and you're a wreck, frustrated. Because it's all about who? Absolutely. <laughs> so what if my flight's a little delayed? Just somebody else to sit beside while you're waiting. <laughs> oh, that we would understand, Lord. <laughs> Do you guys travel at all? The pandemonium of an airport when flights are messed up. The anger, the ready to take off each other's heads. The, the ladies behind the desk taking whoopings that they have nothing. They can do nothing. They aren't even responsible. It's a thunderstorm over the airport. And the ladies behind the desk are getting crucified. You ever in that area scene? <laughs> and you're walking through there smiling and people are mad because you smile <laughs> what are you smiling about <laughs> really want to know <laughs> I'm serious it's like sometimes people are mad because you're okay but it's funny how you can get their minds off of things if you sit and start talking to folks Jesus can just show up who's going to say to the mountain I'm being slow on purpose. I want you to get this. Who's saying to the mountain? We are. It's going to move. And this is, this is to me the most incredible thing Jesus said in the New Testament for me personally. This is just me. It touches me personally. And, and what? And what? And no thing. That's good. Who said no thing? Who broke it down? That's good. And nothing. No thing. Will what? Will be impossible for who? Oh my goodness. Now just because that has not been our reality doesn't mean he didn't say it and doesn't mean it's not true. He died on the cross telling us we're all worthy of his death. Do people live that way? Do people believe that? Is it still true? Does God obviously love everyone? Does everybody receive his love and believe his love? Does he still love? Are we going to stand before God one day and find out that he's love? Does everybody believe it and receive it and walk in it? Is it still true? Whoa. <laughs> so it does boil down to what we believe, doesn't it? The just live by... The whole world's in the sway of the wicked when life itself is set against you believing. And we'll make sure you have every opportunity to not believe. And yet Jesus said what he said. Amen? Circumstances in life, I'm telling you, there's strategies set against every one of us to quench the kingdom. He's not even out to destroy you. He's out to defeat God in you. Potential, kingdom, destiny, purpose. Why do you think you in and of yourself would be so important to the devil that he'd be trying to kill you and quench you? It's because of the kingdom. 
It's because of your created value, your potential, your birthright, your heritage, your inheritance. That's why you don't take life personal. You take the kingdom personal. Because that's what makes you everlasting. Amen. Comment? Hang on, let him, let him give you my keys right there. That'd be better than I don't have to convey it back because they can't hear you. Go ahead. A little while ago when we were talking about John the Baptist and he was in prison and, well, then he, mm-hmm. he, he was beheaded. And Chris Valentin was speaking at BOP this year and he was talking about the reason that he had to be beheaded was it was going out with the old, taking off the old mindset, the cranial mindset. And Christ was bringing in the spiritual life, the new life. Right. Well, there, there definitely is a, a, a change from the old to the new. I mean, personally, whether he had to lose his head for that, I, I understand prophetic and Chris is prophetic. I see what he's saying. The, the, the bottom line is the, the, away with the old and in with the new. Absolutely. You follow what he's saying there? So, so I totally agree with that. It's a brand new way of thinking and living. Be renewed in the... Spirit in the spirit of your mind. I like that. Spirit, inner core, depth of being, the spirit of a man, the innermost being, innermost part, the spirit of your mind. The central core, the functioning foundational place of the working of your mind is how I see the spirit of your mind. I mean, you could study it out and do a word search and define it some different way, but that's what works for me. That's, it's just, wow. Now watch this. Hey, thank you, Lord. Yeah, I was just getting the cobweb. I was talking about the spirit of my mind. Did you hear it cleaning out? (laughs) Just yeah, dude, the lights are on. I'm renewed. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, it's getting clearer and clearer. (laughs) I'm not messing up so bad today. It's ridiculous. I didn't even have anything for breakfast or anything. I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say. So faith is revealed in you saying, understanding with authority, not just crying out because you have a need. But faith is revealed in you addressing a mountain because you see it for what it is. You know who you are. You see the big plan and picture and will of God and you address it. Now, how many people, how many people were raised up in a circle, in a belief that it was almost unholy to assume to know the will of God. Like the will of God was a mystery. Who grew up feeling that way? Like you, like the will of God's a hot potato. Who can know the will of God? Let me see your hands. Who grew up with that idea? Because I did. Okay, it's a lot of us. It's at least half or more. When the Bible says, don't be unwise, understand the will of the Lord, the Bible says to be renewed in your mind so you can prove the will of God. When the Bible reveals Jesus' life is the will of God revealed. So the will of God is found through Jesus' life. I think we'll be okay. Or does he want to check something or do something? Jesus loves me. It's going to work. I ain't using no handheld. He loves me way beyond a handheld. (laughs) Come on. He didn't shed his blood and get me free to bind me up with a handheld. So it's going to work. It's just the way it is. He loves me. So nothing, what? No thing will be impossible for who? 
I thought that was God's job. Nothing impossible for God. He said nothing will be impossible for... He's telling this to his guys right now. Why? Because he wants you on some power trip or thinking you're somebody special. He wants you to see you're one with him. That he always sees you one with him. And that who he is is who he is in you. The body of... Who made up that phrase? Did we come up with that? Or is that in your Bible? The embodiment of Christ. Think about it. The embodiment of Christ. I'm looking at it. The embodiment of Christ. No wonder we fight with insecurity, identity complexes, low esteem. Because if you're struggling with that stuff, you're not even thinking body of Christ. You're thinking getting through the day with your chin up. And you're hoping somebody says something nice to you so you feel better about what you don't feel. And yet you're carrying the kingdom and you're his people. <laughs> That's why identity crisis is so prevalent in people because Satan's strategy is to keep us from seeing who we really are. And getting caught up in a whole bunch of other stuff. Distractions, dime a dozen. Distraction is a dime a dozen. When you know who you are, I've learned this. When you know who you are, you can't even be distracted. You, 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 when you know who you are, it, it, it does something beautiful. Amen? Okay. We read this also, not to be redundant. I'm just walking through like I've wanted to here for a while. So I want to do this today. So thanks for letting me. Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt in your heart, Matthew 21, 21. You will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but you will say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done. Watch. Verse 22 is, I know I said Matthew 17, 20 is my favorite, but watch this. This is a real close second to me. <laughs> Whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, not needing, <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> Ooh, that was a sword, wasn't it? <laughs> whatever you ask in prayer needing, it shall be done. No, that's not what it says. It says whatever you ask in prayer believing. So you have to have confidence in the will of God to even be able to believe. Because if you're asking God something you're not sure is his will, you don't even have confidence and faith in your asking. You're just checking it out if it'll work. Come on. Faith begins when the will of God is known. If you know the will of God, faith is an automatic. If you understand the love of God, faith flows through it. Do you understand? So if I have sickness in my body and I'm understanding God's love for me through the cross and I'm understanding the kingdom is here, heal the sick, and I'm understanding the correlation of redemption, restoration, God wants to redeem me, reconcile me, make me whole. I start understanding God's love is what, is what rolled this ball in the first place. It begins to be easy to see myself whole and begin to receive his love and receive wholeness in that area when I'm settled and sure his love for me. Not letting the sickness question the love, but letting the love crush the sickness. What we do is, well, if he loves me, why am I sick? That's what we do. Well, sometimes you prayed for me and I wasn't healed. Why wasn't I healed then? If God loves me, then why wasn't I healed? And you reveal that you have that question that you're letting your sickness define God instead of God define the sickness. Where did we ever give the sickness the voice to define God when God's already defined through his son? 
He should already be in place. The sickness shouldn't threaten his identity in your life. It's okay. What? May I let it wait for the mic? No, you have to do the mic because nobody can hear you, huh? Well, sure you do. If you want to speak, because it's called love for the people. Yeah. John, that's exactly what John was feeling when he was in prison. And he goes, is this, are you the one? Right. So we allow these things to come up. Right. We absolutely do. But here's the deal. Is it truth? Is it, is it wisdom? Is it healthy? Is God in it? So when John does that, guess what John's doing when he does that? When John does that in prison, what she said was, isn't that exactly what John did in prison? Yes, exactly what he did. We should read and learn and see that's not the way. Okay? It shouldn't be common to men, common sense, common knowledge, human reasoning. The way that seems right to a man is the way that leads to destruction. So here's the deal. Does God's love get affirmed through Christ in his life? Or does God's love get affirmed through the circumstances of your life? God's love is affirmed through Christ in his life. True. Why are we looking for love through the circumstances of our life? Because we're self-centered and needs-driven and incorporating God into our life instead of him becoming our life. Oops. And at large, we've taught the gospel that way. What God can do for us instead of how he can make us more like him. The gospel is all about God making us more like him. We've turned it into a bread basket. So when things aren't going well, the arms fold and the questions fly. And we reveal that we're in this for what he can do for us, not who he is in us. So because I've said that a lot in this school and you're sitting here, probably ought to just not let that happen anymore in your life ever. (laughs) Amen. Amen. See, because it doesn't change truth. It'll just get you from receiving truth. So if you start questioning God's love for you, how could you ever trust God and be in faith? If the first person you turn to and question is God in a situation, how could you ever walk it through by the Spirit? When he should be established and you fight with him. I was talking, who was? Oh, it was Shane. We had a great talk with Shane. Shane, you're awesome. Just yesterday in the parking lot. He just has a good grip on some things that he shared. It's just good. And I just really respected it. I was thanking God for you when I left, when I pulled out. <clears throat> When you have a trial come into your life and you start asking the introspective questions, wonder how this has happened, wonder why this is happening, wonder what door opened, wonder what allowed that. That is the 99.9% time that I see. That's how people respond when they're in a trial. They do the question list. When the reality is it's happened, you should be fighting. When you're doing the questions, There's no shield or sword. You're actually backing up, introspecting, going way back, and you should be waging a good fight of faith right now. You can figure out somewhere along the line maybe if there's a way to avoid something, but the bottom line is it's here. Why are we 
going, how did this happen? Oh my God, what did I do wrong? Where is God? What did I, why is the devil, why is God allowing? Oh. And it's almost the way we're programmed to think when we're faced with trial, that we do this introspective question list instead of rise up and say, well, Dan, how am I supposed to respond? Very simply, you got a shield that quenches every fiery dart. You got a sword. Rather than question those weapons and their validity and, and, and putting them away, why not get them out and use them? <laughs> say, Father, wow, I see what's going on. I am not sure how this has even come about, but I sure thank you that you love me and that you've given me wisdom. And God, right now that I just, and then you proclaim life over the situation. Why? Because you're assured he loves me. You're assured that he didn't administrate this because it's not bringing life. But he can sure form me through it. He can sure seal me in a deeper revelation. But I have to keep my eyes on who? On him, not go, oh my God, how did this happen? Let me see here. And now you're throwing your identity away and everything. You can't even fight when you're in that place. You're not even going to stand in any place of faith. Right? Right? And you're being deceived into just making it all about you again and what you're going through and how and why. Instead of who you are in him, rising up and winning. You follow me? It's like, hey, it's here. The storm's here. It comes to the wise and foolish. We've covered that in this school. He says, the storm's here. What do I do now in God? That's what our response should be. Not, why is the storm here? (laughs) it's here (laughs) are you following me come on Matthew 21 22 says whatever things what things (laughs) you ask believing you will doesn't say needing remember it says believing it's a big deal this is not a formula It's not just a principle. It's not just a method we apply to get results in our life. It's a relationship of love. It's a revealing of the Father. You find the Father in here through the Son and you find you in here. It's a love. It's a love thing, man. It's amazing. Let's let's look at a couple more here quick. Let's go to... uh, We hit Mark 11. Let me just read it quick. Go to Mark 11 real quick with me, please. Thanks, God. You're so good. Mark 11, verse 22. Jesus said, have faith in who? Wow, what a phrase. Man, we put our faith in a lot of things. We put our faith in the people that are praying for us. We put our faith in our own faith. We put our faith in what we're praying. Your faith is in God, who he is, his will in the matter, his heart. Who God is is where faith comes from. Faith works through what? Through love. Don't ever forget that. Your faith is in God. We've taught faith sometimes in such a way that we put our faith in our ability to have faith. This is crazy. Your faith's in God. Watch how simple faith is. I'm all alone. You're not around. And I am just convinced God loves me so much that he would send his son that he would redeem me and reconcile me while I was yet an enemy by wicked works in my mind, yet he made holy, blameless, and above reproach. I was alienated. I was estranged. I was away. I had no hope, no covenant, no God. And yet he was there to father me. And now I see and understand through the cross. He's captivated my heart. 
I am so sure of his love towards me. So here I am sitting in this place. So anything that comes my way has to come through the eye of that needle. So cancel fear, worry, anxiety. I'm in love with God. God's in love with me for the purpose of manifesting his image, manifesting his nature. Not just so he takes care of me, not just so my ducks are in a row, not just so that everything goes my way and I'm never inconvenienced in life, but so that I can bear witness of my father. He's in me and I'm in him and he loves me and his will is towards me in the, in the realm of life. You got it? So persecutions, trials, adversity is all to manifest Jesus through. It's, God doesn't stop that stuff. It's, it's actually a great platform to manifest the truth of what's inside of you. Oh, you can bawl and squall if you want. You'll just expose that you're in this for you and you make yourself a sitting duck and the devil will just push you around like a ball in a pinball machine. Sickness, disease, things that steal, kill, destroy. I have a real grip on now. You can't be part of God's plan and... The part of God's plan is you paid for my redemption, etc. What gives me the confidence to receive that is unfailing love for me. See where faith comes from? It comes through love. It's a beautiful thing. You're sure and settled on the will of God for you. The fact that you're going through it doesn't change it. That's what happens. Well, then why am I going? But why, is this, why do I got to go through this? And, and see, that's a self That's It's all about me again. Look, I don't have all the answers. I know we're tried, we're tested, we're, things happen, God's the same. Hold on to him, and we're coming through. You know what we've said? We said, well, brother, you're going through this. You had to open a door. Well, you gotta get something right. I mean, there needs to be repentance on your part or something. You mean, look, you, the devil ain't doing this to you. If it's the devil, he had to have an outlet. He had to have a way. He had to have da-da-da. And, and there's no faith towards a person. Hey, let me pray with you. It's just more pressure. You have to be doing something wrong or you wouldn't be in that place. That's what we've done to each other. Big time. Rather than, look, man, Wrap your arm around mine. Yeah, we're like a chain, man. We're together in Christ. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know, but I can see one thing. It doesn't have the fingerprint of God. And I realize Jesus, no matter what opened the door, we can figure that out long, but that's stand and fight because we can win. Jesus loves you. That's rarely the response. Usually it's real intellectual, real mystical. And the whole time the people are doing it, they're backing out and they're not even in it to help. They're just saying... We have to be doing something wrong. Here, here, here's a faith book. Whatever things you ask believing shall be done. Have faith in God for truly, verse 23, Mark 11. I say to you, whoever, who? Who? Wow. So we're in, huh? Do you see how you have the privilege of stewarding this gospel or contesting it <laughs> or jumping halfway in, halfway out? Whoever. Come on, this is Jesus talking. I don't care. It doesn't even, I'm not trying to debate. I'm not trying to be right and make somebody wrong. I just have to settle. Do I believe in Jesus? Is he Lord? Is he the truth? And is he speaking right now? And if my answer is yes, then I've got my answer. So it doesn't even matter if the whole world says, Dan, you're wrong. 
I still have to answer what I'm going to do with Jesus. My whole family, the closest people to my life could contest me and say, Dan, you're taking this too far. You can't prove to me that I am when I read that Bible. You tell that lady on the airplane I'm taking this too far. She'd probably disagree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And a whole lot of other folks. I said this earlier in the school. For some reason, it's in my heart again. People that fight against what I'm preaching right now and don't understand seem to live their whole lives and never see things change. People that preach what I'm preaching, even though we're not seeing everything we're going after, we're seeing a lot of stuff. There's babies that are alive today that shouldn't be. I bumped into a lady last fall whose child shouldn't be alive, and she's seven. There's no way she should be. I get a Christmas card from somebody that was six. Should have been surely dead when they were two. It's countless. I can't even, my mind starts reminiscing. I could lay on my bed and cry. There's so many things God's doing. Don't you think it has a connection with believing? Just because we're not seeing everything and because somebody dies, the cynic will rise up and go, ha, well, look, well, then why'd they die? Well, what about all the ones that are living? And what about we're growing and increasing? And that cynicism's going to really turn into dust one day in the presence of God. That's a shame that people can think like we think. So wonder if we're not seeing everything. Did Jesus say we can? So what do we do? Scrap what Jesus said and let our experience be Lord? Or do we have integrity and trust what Jesus said and get greater revelation and see our experience change? I would say let's go that route. I'm going that route. Whether you all do or not is up to you. You'll have to stand before him, but I'm going that route. Are the people on the airplanes going to still get touched in the malls? You got something, Steve? Get him the mic back there in the back. He's a good guy. Glad you joined us, man. You got a good girl sitting there beside you too, man. I like her a lot. Yeah. Um, that made me think of this story that I wanted to share. I just read about John G. Lake. And I mean, this guy had amazing stuff. John G. Lake's amazing, Africa. yeah. And they, um, they had this situation where they were... This um, hospital was bringing in these hypnosis people that were doing hypnosis to do healing. Right. And they um, invited John G. Lake to come and be a part of it. And he said, I'll be a part of it on, on one condition. I, I go last. And it's, it's amazing. The whole story is a complete like replication of Prophets of Baal and Elisha. Right. Or Mount Elijah. Carmel. Yeah, Elijah. Yeah. And um, so... He said, I go last. They get up, and they found five people incurable diseases, completely incurable, impossible to cure them. And he said, you know, you guys go ahead, and they, they're doing all their stuff, and it's just not working. Nothing happens. These people are still in their wheelchairs, still not moving. John G. Lake gets up and ministers to each one of them individually and prays for them each individually. Three of them get healed instantaneously, one within four days, and the other one passed away. But I read that and immediately it came up to my mind, well, what about that one? What about, you know, why did, why did that one have to pass away? And this is something that, you know, Kim and I have been wrestling through is 
we believe that everything is victory when we go into it, but it doesn't always come out the way that we believed victory was or the way that we wanted it to. Um, and you guys have talked a lot about how that doesn't determine our belief. But right. I thought that was interesting that even for John G. Lake, I was expecting reading the story that everybody was just going to get right. healed instantaneously. But no, well, watch this. That's so three, and I and I know the story well. I've read read a lot of John G. I don't read many books. I I can count on one hand probably the books I've read since I've been saved. Uh, but I've read John G. Lake book three times, the big 500 some almost 600 pager. I read it three times straight through, and then I read a bunch of other stuff more than three times. And uh, that story's very familiar to me. Three were instantly healed. One was healed in several days, recovered, and the other died. Isn't it amazing how humble he was in saying the first thought is, well, why'd the one die? Well, thank God three were instantly healed, and the fourth one recovered in a few days. And the standard is Jesus, and we're following him. So here's the deal. So Jesus walks in there and prays for them five. What happens? Across the board, what happens? Everybody in this room would agree. Who saw anybody, who saw Jesus touch anybody that wasn't healed? So if Jesus walks in there and touches those people, what happens to those five people? So it proves we're growing. It proves that our belief system is on the right track. We're seeing fruit, we're seeing results, but we're increasing. We're not Jesus, but we're the body of Christ becoming more like him. You see? But the trap is cynicism and human wisdom focuses on the one instead of rejoicing in the three. Well, four, but the three instant, because the fourth, even though a couple days come by, we're still seeing him as not healed most of the time in the church, even though he's in process. Because we don't realize, unless we see it, we really don't believe it in most cases. So we turn healing into a hit, miss, win, or lose. It's something we try, hey, that's, well, I don't know why God didn't, didn't heal. So people come to the altar and we pray and they feel the same and we say, well, I guess they didn't get healed. Well, I guess we'll try next week or whatever. And we, we make it a point in time. It's like, that's why there's so much pressure when people are being prayed for a lot of times because it's like all or nothing. And it's deception. It's nothing. There's, I, I, I have lost track of people that we've prayed for that go on and just are healed in a matter of a couple days. They go to bed and they wake up healed. You bump into them in town. You pray for people in your hometown and you bump into them in a store. Two months, two later, it's happened to me. I don't know how many times. Hey, you remember me? Yeah, I had to pray for you somewhere. You're familiar. Yeah, it was over. Okay, yeah. Oh my gosh, no more pain. I got up in the mornings, no pain. And some of those people think you're nuts when you're praying for them. Some of the people are thinking, boy, hurry up and get it over with. People are looking. And you're being gracious and you're praying fast. And we're going to get into all that next week because I want to train on that. But, but if I don't understand what I'm telling you right now, my heart's not even encouraged to hit, miss, win, or lose. And if they're not immediately changed, well, then they aren't healed or they're not being healed or they're not going to be healed. I have to see past that. I think it's a marvelous story, but I wanted to highlight that isn't it amazing how our minds are tempted to drift to the one that wasn't instead of build on the three or four that are. I heard Bill Johnson say this on the tape. I see you, Patty. I heard Bill Johnson say this on the tape. He said, uh, isn't it amazing how we focus on what hasn't happened? Why don't we keep building on what God's doing? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen even close to everybody I've prayed for healed. 
I used to say I've seen hundreds healed, and my friends laugh and say, would you knock it off? That's being silly. But honestly, I have seen thousands of people healed. I, I saw 100 people healed in 30 seconds not long ago. It was just one of them beautiful moments. And, and God said, I'm in the room just like you're singing. Why don't you proclaim it? I stopped the worship, stood up and stopped the worship and proclaimed it. And God went, and it was ridiculous. Three scoliosis went, cataracts. Three people melted right out of their eyes. It was, it was a hundred things. It was hysteria. People were crying, tore ACLs. It was just in 30 seconds. So, see, I haven't seen enough, but I've seen way too much to argue with you. I will just smile at your inexperience and presumption and just keep on trucking. If you don't want to talk, if you just want to fight, I'm not fighting with you. I've seen way too much. I've watched tumors disappear. Yeah. See, that almost feels arrogant to some people when you talk like that. See how I am right now? I got so much going through me right now. Because oh. either I'm a crack case and a mental, a psycho, crazy guy that needs serious help right now. Or I'm telling you the truth and time will tell. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I, I, I've watched five people wake up in comas. Just open their eyes, hooked up to all the machines. When medical science said that two of them couldn't even hear you. And they went. It's a wonderful feeling when you speak their name and their eyes look at you. Well, you got to tell a few of those things sometimes. And I don't like to tell a lot on video because then I get all the phone calls with everybody's broken friends. To, like as if I'm the one that has to pray for everybody. And our whole purpose of the school, school is doing what Jesus said. Look, I poured myself into you. Now you go make disciples and you multiply and you're the body of Christ. Go cover the earth with my glory. Yeah. And we're still feeling bad about what people did and didn't say right. There's a bigger picture to life. <laughs> Are you following me? Patty, you've been raising your hand and raising your hand. Doesn't? Are you serious? We got the mic to you. It's okay. No, I kind of passed it. It was with the story about the three guys that were healed uh, and one took a couple of days and one died. It just it hit me when, when, when we said, well, why did that one die? Um, we talked about it here the other week where... You have actually said if you walk into a hospital room and you, the circumstance, you know you already licked. <laughs> it's no use you even pray. Maybe that's possibly what could have happened. You know. Well, there's I, a lot I, of things we we have to realize. We carry the kingdom. Who who has been raised up with a mentality and faith and doubt and unbelief and stuff when they've heard it taught that if you walk in a hospital room and everybody's crying, speaking negative, that that atmosphere dominates the move of God. That is totally untrue. Completely, totally untrue. You show me one atmosphere Jesus walked into and got suppressed. The only time it says that's that Nazareth thing, we covered that. Uh, they just didn't bring the sick to him. They thought he was loco. His hometown. And he said, a prophet receives no honor. If you honor a prophet, 
in the name of a prophet, you would bring people to him, right? They didn't honor him, so they didn't have time for him, so they had better things to do. Nobody bought the sick in the streets in Nazareth like they did in Capernaum. You follow me? So he had nobody to work with. There was nobody. They didn't bring the sick. So the ones he passed by, he must have touched a few because it said he healed a few sick folks. But you know what he started doing? Going to their synagogues and preaching and teaching. Why? To get the truth out there, to get the word established. But in their hometown, they were despising it. They were familiar with him. This is, this is Mary's boy. Where does he get off saying this stuff? We watched him grow up since he was a little guy. And they got, right? Well, you get old Bartimaeus in another town here and he's passing through. He's a blind guy. He's been hearing the talk. What's all the commotion? What's all? It's Jesus of Nazareth. He's passed. Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. I know it here. He's the son of David. Jesus, have mercy on me. You're not blind anymore. <laughs> People that saw him for he was pressing through the crowd, grabbing his garment, healed. Seeking him out in the house, blind. Why do you follow him? What do you want me to do? That we might see. See. Over and over. Why are we fighting with that? Why don't we just understand that Jesus had no identity crisis, no insecurity. He knew exactly who he was. We're still learning. And we move in levels of what's available. But the fact that we move in levels of what's available means there's something out there available. If three were instantly healed, there's something in the air. Hello? But our intellectual minds camp on the one that didn't. Well, I go there too because I want them all healed too. I understand. But you know what? Four were healed, weren't they? We ought to rejoice and keep on touching the sick, shouldn't we? Yeah. Can I be real straight and raw? I say some pretty straight stuff. If you prayed for a loved one and a family member and they died and you stopped praying for the sick because I experienced it's because you're hurt, you're taking it personal, you've got to find a place to deal with that pain, that sense of loss, and jump up out of that place and get your hands on the sick again. Because you're just making it all about you and how you feel. I'm not being insensitive because I've, I've lost people. That's why I can talk that way. You know, I've prayed for a lot, a lot of people. Do you know how many hospitals I've gone to? Do you know how many babies I've held with wires hanging out of them? You know, I've seen a bunch of them fix up. You know, I've watched a bunch die. Do I seem encouraged to you? So I'm not living for me. I'm going after this kingdom. Because Jesus said it's in me. And because I believe it, there's a lot of good things that have happened. Do you know how fun it is to pray for a doctor who's lost his eyesight from glaucoma? And he opened his eyes and he trembled and his jaw shake and he'd fall on your shoulder because he can see totally clear. Right in Michigan? That's fun. There's something in the air. <laughs> it's called the kingdom. <laughs> The reason it's in the air, it's because it's coming out <laughs> of us. <laughs> or you can board it up and shut it up in there and just go to church on Sunday <laughs> and say your prayers. <laughs> or the signs that follow a believer, they lay there. 
That's the first sign. They lay their hands on the sick. Why don't we lay our hands on the sick? Because we're not sure what we believe. It's pretty straight. When you believe, you'll lay your hands on the sick. That's what Jesus said. The first sign of a believer. Did you ever read a little Norval Hayes booklet? Norval Hayes is from the old... He's, from, he's, he's, he's still around. He says... He writes books like this, like Sally Met, Sally Jane books or whatever. Those books, you know, the readers' books, the little one-liner books. He says, "This is a normal Hayes booklet, a little mini booklet, and it might say on the front, are you a believer?' Question mark, and it intrigues you. You pick it up, and the middle, the front, the, the first page says, "Are you a believer?" You flip the page. Really? <laughs> Do you lay hands on the sick? Hmm. Why not? Then I guess you don't believe. It's just how he writes the book. It's like... <sighs> I mean, you drop the book and just go run and pray for somebody. Because what it proves is, guys, we're so caught up in the healing aspect. What Steve said, why didn't the one get healed? We get so caught up in that that we make healing the issue and wonder if they're going to get healed, and will God heal through me, and wonder if he doesn't show up, and wonder if they aren't healed, and all those things mount, and then we draw back of the confidence to never even do what the first thing a believer does is get their hands on the sick because we have unresolved in this area. But if you do believe, you're thinking to pray for the sick. If you're talking to somebody you haven't seen them for five, seven years, and they say, oh, I have this going on or this, the first thing in your heart is to pray for them. Most Christians especially that sit under this teaching, that's the first response because of the teaching. But then you have to deal with what? Your flesh, your emotions, your feelings, and your thoughts and decide if you're even going to do it or not. But the conviction to do it's there immediately, isn't it? Immediately. And sometimes it takes the conviction to rise above the pain of doing it. But if you have that conviction, I would say, why go through the pain? Just do it. And you'll be so happy you did and you'll wonder why you were waiting. God is so gracious. We, we have seen so much. We, we, had, we, had, we had people on the streets in Colorado two weeks ago that never even prayed for the sick in the public. And God was just moving. It was extraordinary. Guys, Tom Rotola had to cut the line off. It was from here down to that music stand. And he's telling everybody, take 90 seconds. And they're telling the whole story, you know. The sky was blue and these puffy clouds came. They were telling the whole story, you know. <laughs> he's like, 90 seconds, please. Get to the point. <laughs> they're coming. It's 40, 45 minutes of testimonies of people out on the streets praying for the sick. And it's some of them their first time. Literally, a tumor this big hanging on a lady's side just disappeared. We were in Ohio and a man had tumors all over his body. They prayed for him and his whole body was clean. Three eyesights restored. They weren't totally blind, but they were, boom, Walmart parking lot stuff. It's just ordinary everyday people that are humbling their intellect. Oh, that was an ouch. <laughs> and saying, wonder if, let's just go see, let's just go. Instead of, yeah, but, wow, God forbid we stand before Jesus and find our whole life was on hold because of a yeah, but, and he already was the truth revealed. Can you imagine that day, Jennifer, if that would happen here? 
you wonder, why, why didn't I believe? One so lovely. Because I have to honor that this is Jesus. Now, this is where people cop out and they say, well, I don't know this is the word of God. Men wrote the book. I don't know. I am so glad. I am, thank you. I am so glad. I, I was, she was telling me what time it was. She must have to go to the party. <laughs> Take a break. <laughs> go. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> You're awesome, Randy. Okay. Mark 16, verse 15. Jesus raised from the dead. We covered this the other day, so I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but it's where they were in unbelief. People had come and said they saw Jesus. They didn't believe. He came and he corrected them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. And in the same breath, practically, he commissioned them to go into all the world, right in the midst of saying they were in unbelief and their hearts were hard. So what's he saying? That's how quick repentance is. That's how quick conversion is. He, I told you the story of the time I was in Ohio. I was preaching and the, and the whole congregation was in unbelief. When I was in the middle of preaching, there was a couple people that were on page, but not many. There was this one young man with Crohn's disease in the front. He was hanging on every word, man. He was just like this. But most of the people, you could cut it with a knife. I'm in the middle of preaching and I could feel the unbelief, and I actually the Lord gave me three things that people were thinking in their minds while I was preaching cynical things. And yet we were, there was a church on a Sunday morning. And I, and I was preaching like I'm, I'm preaching, and I'm sharing things because the pastor specifically wanted me to focus on healing. He said, look, I know you got a message in heart, I know you, but could you help us? Could you teach on healing? We, I personally don't understand it. I don't touch it because of the can of worms that opens. I don't know how to answer questions. So I just leave it alone. And if God would choose to heal, that would be great. But we see really no healing in our church and we don't understand it. Could you help us? A very humble pastor. So, he, so that's why I went to the church. So I'm teaching, and we were going to pray for the sick, and I'm teaching, and while I'm in the middle of teaching, I remember just stopping and going, oh my gosh, you guys don't even believe anything I'm saying. And I just got silly and started laughing. Because <laughs> you're not threatened by that. It doesn't change him. It doesn't change the gospel. You know, it's not like, oh my God, they're not hooking up and receiving bad sermon, bad preacher. You know, I'm under pressure now. Unbelief everywhere. I don't, I, don't, I don't think Jesus was threatened by unbelief. He might have been grieved by it in the sense of sad in his heart for people that they couldn't believe and see. But he, he wasn't offended. He wasn't, well, you don't believe me. Well, I'm going to another town in a way where he's hurt like we get hurt. Why? Because love doesn't take into account of a suffered wrong. Do you see what I mean? Now watch. Well, in that church, God did a miracle because I just stopped everything and the guy at Crohn's disease got really touched but we prayed for a lady who was deaf. She's bawling and bawling. Her ear, she was born deaf in her left ear, popped open. A uh, lady got healed in her knees, arthritis going up and down the stairs like this, crying. And then a young boy we prayed for but we didn't see the result yet. He had a cast on. He went out in the parking lot. It was just a fun day. So he, she's walking and I remember looking up at the people. It was a big church. And I said, are you guys ready to believe God yet? And I got real serious. And then most of them are crying. And I said, I want you to, everybody that's sick in this place, line up up here. We're going to pray. I got the people up. The Lord had me get the people up that 15 minutes before were in the sin of unbelief. And they were my prayer team. And God did amazing, beautiful things. 15 minutes before, they're sitting there cynical. When I was preaching, I said, oh my goodness, you guys don't believe anything I'm saying. I can 
Right now, some of you are thinking this. Some of you are thinking this. And some of you are thinking, as you're saying, you just saw their faces. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> and we ended up praying for the sick. Who sees that Jesus isn't threatened by that? Who sees that he's still Lord, he's still true, his word's still available, his love's the same. Isn't that cool? So then I laughed and I said to him, I said, you know, guys, that means one thing. I'm standing there just like I said, that means one thing. I said, we're in church because it's Sunday, but we don't believe this book. Oh, it was so convicting. It's religion. We're in church because it's the right day, but we don't even have our hearts are far from him. Isn't that something? Isn't it amazing that God demonstrated what I was preaching? He told me to do it. I said, if you you were there, it would have sounded arrogant. It was just God. It's just the way. There's times you get into those places. I I did a healing service for about five or six years over at YCF twice a week, morning and evening, twice a week on Wednesday. And learned a lot in that season, saw a lot of amazing things. But sometimes grace gifting comes on you. Sometimes God tells you to do something and you know it's him. It's just, I remember a lady came up on a, you know what a three-base walker is? It's, it's, it's this three-base walker, but it was for extra balance. And this dear lady got out of the aisle. I don't know if you were there that night. Martha used to come to line. And her husband's watching her and she wanted to come herself. I saw her say, I'll get up there. I'm going. And she's coming up front. She's frail and fragile. And she's coming with this three-base walker. And I'm watching her. It's moving my heart. I'm thinking, this lady's coming. Well, we got other people to pray for. And they're kind of lining up. And, and back in that day, I would just pray for it, pretty much pray for everybody. And then I turned the night over to other speakers and teachers. But I would go and, and sit in, make sure they were preaching the truth. Because <laughs> accountable. I, I would. I would just give them a chance to preach. And if they got off track a little, I'd jump up. I'd just be bold enough to jump up and say, now listen, I hear what... I didn't ever really have to do that much. But sometimes you keep things sharp. But... This lady gets up there and I walked up to her. It's gifting. I'm not thinking to do this. I'm not thinking I have to do this. It just came on me. I just looked at her and I saw this and I said, do you mind if I prophesy? And she said, this frail, precious lady going through. She said, ah, no, that would be fine. I took her walker. I never even looked behind me. I just threw it. (laughs) Now that's just insane. I said, can I prophesy to you? She said, okay. Fire of God. And that's what I yelled, fire of God. And she was so frail and so fragile. And I usually don't even minister that way. I don't feel like I have to, but God sometimes says do stuff. When I yelled fire of God, it looked like you shot her with 44 Magnum. And her husband. Now put yourself in her husband's shoes. He's sitting back about where you guys are, back chain in that row there. She's, he's back. She came that far. And he goes, because her little body went, <laughs> and she's just, in, she's just on the floor. Nobody's around her. Nobody caught her. Nobody broke her fall. She just went, <laughs> and I went, well. <laughs> and her husband's like, and I saw her husband, and he's like, my wife. And I said, and it was prophetic. I said, she's fine, sir. Jesus loves her. Your wife is fine. 
she's fine. And he just sat there. So I pray, and I hear a couple people squeal and make some noise. I look, and here's the lady. She's up. And she's walking down the aisle. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm watching her. She goes the whole way to the back, and she's... She comes the whole way back up and her husband's sitting there. <laughs> I'm thinking, you know what? She is fine. <laughs> but, but now watch. So that isn't your gimmick now. And you don't look for the next walker. Oh, cool. I'm going to throw that one. You see what I mean? I was in a line like that and the Lord said, to punch this guy as hard as I could in the chest. I said, as hard as I can? He said, punch him. And I said, punch him? He said, punch him. And, it, and, it, and I couldn't, it was like I couldn't not. I didn't want to. Don't even look for those words. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm fighting this thing. And God's coming on me. It felt like when I was a kid and, and we used to slap box in the streets and stuff. And you'd get it and you'd just start going at it. And I'm like... Oh, no. Bam! I punched that guy. And I'm thinking, either I heard him or that's you. I hope that's you. He's just laying on the floor, all bent up. And I'm like, God. And I'm praying, and I'm like trying to ignore. I'm, I was nervous. But I punched him hard. And I, it really wasn't me. I don't know why you have to do that stuff. I don't even like that. I don't even want those words. But the result was absolutely incredible because this stronghold of stuff in his life broke. He laid there and began to bawl and the Lord began to come on him. And he started telling me with tears and joy what was going on in, in, in his life. And it, now, I'm, now I'm all weepy. But man, I hit him hard. Why would you have to? I don't even know. But there's, there's certain things. I remember a lady coming up 10 years, uh, like, like really bad. She had a walker and it was like, kind of like that. I said, honey, what happened? She was in a, a motor accident, a, a motor vehicle accident. I think it involved a bus and whatnot. She was like, I said, how long have you been? She said, 10 or 12 years. I said, wow. And I just saw this. You know how Jesus said, stretch forth your hand, take your bed, walk stuff. I just pulled her walker away from her. I said, turn and run. I never prayed for her. I said, honey, turn and run. And don't let the first step deceive you. That's what came out of my mouth. She looked, but she doesn't have her walker. She went. And about the fourth step, she's gone. I watched her. Why see her? I watched her run the whole way, the sound booth, the whole way around, run. She got to the front, about 53, 55 years old. She got to the front and just did look like a baseball guy coming home. She just slid down on the carpet and just laid prostrate on the carpet and cried and cried and cried and cried. <laughs> so I told you I haven't seen enough, but I've seen way too much to change my mind. <laughs> Yay. Just telling a few stories that feel good. Mark 16. Here's why this stuff's happening. 
because we're going into all the world, we're preaching the gospel, the good news, gospel, good news to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be what? Saved, Saved. sozoed. Yeah. Saved means saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. The word is sozo. You take one word to replace a word when you translate. Saved is the best word. If you're in a burning house and Jesus comes in and carries you out, he just saved your life. If you're in a car and it flips over and and you're under it trapped and it's exploding from the gas everywhere and all of a sudden you're sitting along the road under a tree wondering how you got there. Who knows, he just came and saved you. If you're dying of cancer and he strikes that cancer and takes everybody, who knows, he just saved you. Saved is a good word. Trouble is, in the English language, we've learned to believe that saved means you're going to heaven someday. And that's not even the strength of that word. The word sozo has more of a definition concerning life now than it does everlasting life. But we grew up thinking the word saved means I'm going to heaven. Got to get everybody saved. Yeah, we do. Healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. So we're right, but we don't understand what it means. We're trying to get everybody to quote a prayer so they can go to heaven someday when Jesus comes back. And the word saved is sozo. It means saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved. Listen to this one. Well, you're pretty close to it. We'll go back here to Mark 16, but go to John 3. I want you to see this. The Bible's so clear. Don't be in a hurry, man. Read and understand. John 3.16, it's the one we quote all the time to people. For God so loved, right? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That's amazing. Man, when that, when that lit up in me 16 years ago, I realized, wait, this thing is all about love. Why'd you give your son to redeem my value, to restore my life? Not because I'm a sinner, because I'm really a son. Amen? Now watch. That whoever, who? Whoever. You're in. The door's open for you. Whoever believes in him. See, now you have to determine what you're going to believe. Are you going to let the gospel dictate who you are? Are you going to get life and feelings and emotions and people? Are you going to let what people said and haven't said determine you? Or are you going to let what God says determine you? That's where faith comes in, isn't it? You following me? Now watch this. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Everlasting life, my Bible says. So that means you're going to live forever. So he's talking about forever. He's talking about the life that's to come in him, right? That, that means after this body passes, we're alive in him. So you're going to live forever. But now look at verse 17, which to me is, it's progressive. 16's awesome. And 17, what's the word for more awesome? 17's more awesome. Thank you, Patty, for that revelation, because I was just getting it. <laughs> for God did not, say this with me, did not send his son into the world to condemn you. So why would you ever receive condemnation? God's heart is not to condemn you. Why would you ever be condemned? Look, even if you did wrong and know it, why is condemnation the route you take? Just let your heart repent and say, God, thank you for making me wiser, sharper in the light in my life that's revealing truth. God, thanks for loving me. Why don't you run to his lap instead of run from him and put on fig leaves? <laughs> it didn't work well for Adam and Eve. Why are we still doing it? <laughs> the days of naked and ashamed are supposed to be over forever. You run to daddy, not from daddy. Okay, so he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but look. 
but that the world through him might be sozoed. That the world, here's God's intent, that the world through Jesus be saved, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. What's the will of God? That the world be sozoed, saved, healed. You can't have the word sozo without healing. And we're fighting over the will of God to heal. And it says in your Bible that God sent his son to heal the world. You say, yes, but brother, that's just spiritually. Oh, okay. Is any among you sick? James chapter 5. God seems to care. Is anybody sick? You in the back? Have the elders surround you, anoint you with oil, pray the prayer of faith over you. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord himself will raise you up. And if you've missed the mark, that'll be forgiven too. He loves you. It's a grace package. Hello? (laughs) Come on, how simple is this? We just need to settle in the will of God and grow in it. We still might only have the three, one and one scenario like he brought up. But it's possible, isn't it? Watch this, watch this. That five, that testimony of John G. Lake, wonder if only one was instantly healed or wonder if one was progressively healed and four died. One was healed. See, why doesn't that just tune us? Come on. I use this analogy, people don't like it. Wonder if I pray for 16 people in a row with cancer and they all die. I still have to answer for the word that says they can live. So at what point does the 16 dying trump what Jesus said in his word in my heart saying it's true? So am I going to pray for number 17? I'm just not going to tell him my statistics. (laughs) I'm just not going to say, now listen, I'm 0 for 16, but I'm going to get this. Can I get to the plate and swing this bat? Uh, can I have another pastor? <laughs> What's up? Man? Give me a run up there. But do you follow what I'm saying about that? Why do we let the zero for 16 speak so loud when the word ought to speak so loud that we go for number 17? Because there has to be something possible here. God, keep teaching me. All I know is the best I understand, I believe this thing, I'm getting my hands on the sick. What are we losing? You have nothing to lose by getting to the plate. If you don't take an at-bat, you'll never have an average. If you don't take an at-bat, you'll never get a hit. You can't win a game from the bench, guys. So why not get in the game? You say, well, wonder if I strike out. Thank God you're at the plate. Would you get the bat and swing? You follow? Okay, we'll get the mic to you. Hang on. A lot of that has to do with all our life. We've been plagued with negativity, spoken everything negative. So we always look at the negative. Right. That's what we were talking about, the break. And and talking about then seeing and going after it because all the news, most of all the news is negative. You don't hear anything. Do you hear what he's saying? We're groomed that way from the time you can remember. Tutored. It's called, let me just tell you what it's called. What is it called? The fall of man. You all been to school. It's the fall of man. And we've been trained that way. I heard a message a number of years ago. And the guy, the preacher, he was a, uh, in high school, he played football. And they were going to the state championships. And he was out there and he got injured really bad. And he says, in a game like that, you get injured, you can put your hand up, the coach will take you out. And he said, I'm not going out. I'm going out. I'm going to finish this game. I'm going to run my race and I'm going to do it. 
He said, the body of Christ is like that game. They get hurt. They get injured. They put their hand up. God, take me home. Take me home. Get me out of here. Big time. And then God's saying, put your hand down. I don't need you up here. Yeah, where does he need you? He needs you right here. Think about it. He said, well, God must have just needed him in heaven. No, he needs you here so his manifold wisdom can be known to the powers and principalities through his church. Ephesians 3, it's the whole reason for the gospel. He wants you here. You're way more effective here. If he'd see you up there sitting on a cloud somewhere half filled with the Spirit, he'd probably kick you down here just so half of the Spirit. <laughs> what are you doing up here? <laughs> Well, now it was one thing, but now it's two things. Okay. At work, we have this thing called the short bus. You get to griping and complaining, you're riding this short bus. And because we have a team, we work as a team. Okay, hold the mic up there so everybody can hear you. When you start getting on the short bus, we remind you and tell you when it's time to get off the short bus. You know, and God does that to us sometimes. We get on that short bus and we get to ride on it and get quite comfortable on it. We were too comfortable. And we'll send somebody or he'll even come himself to kick you off the bus and tell you, hey, wait a minute, stop. Yeah, he doesn't want you on there. Yeah. The second thing is, who says this guy just because he died isn't healed? We're We're talking about physical healing. So if somebody dies and they're born again, they have everlasting life. They're eternal. So we know they have a brand new body. We know that they're fine and everything. But now watch this. Sickness was paid for through the atonement. It's obvious. I could take the time. We've already taught that here. You're visiting today, so you just have to understand it. We, we, we've taught the atonement. You eat the flesh. You drink the blood. The blood was paid for the sins committed. The blood paid for the sins committed. The body paid the price for the effects of those sins committed. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, arise and walk. But to show you, your sins are forgiven, rise and walk. So he healed the paralytic. He didn't just let him die so he could be healed someday. The kingdom of God is here. Heal the sick. Now, not being sarcastic, one of the biggest mental cop-outs in the church is, well, they'll be healed when they go to heaven. Now, watch. Jesus said, is any among you... Well, take heart because one day you'll come to me and be healed. No, he said, pray for them, anoint them, and pray the prayer of faith so the Lord can heal them. But maybe his illness was more than his physical. Well, there's all kinds. The gospel's total redemption for spirit, soul, and body, okay? So what you're saying is true. There's, there's, there could be more than physical. But if we know it's physical, are they in line to be healed? Whether it's more or less, we still can pray for the sick. A lot of times, this is what I found. It's a great point. I'll see the sick healed and through the healing have access to the other areas that need mended. You follow me? Just, you follow what I'm saying? So that's not complicated and say maybe it's more. Whatever we're aware of, let's give them the kingdom. And as the kingdom comes, it could open the door for greater restoration. Now watch. I've watched people get healed 
and they're so humbled by the fact that God healed them because they don't feel worthy. They actually have unresolved issues in their heart. They have unforgiveness that they know of and God heals them and his mercy triumphs and his goodness comes and turns their heart and they go, oh my God, and they start confessing all the pain and sin and stuff of their life. And guess what happened first? They were healed. Guess what opened them up? The fact that God came anyway. Now, if I'm trying to figure all that out over here and get in this way, I'm going to not live from my heart and just give them what I know I can. Does this make sense? Okay. I'm going to take one more thing here, but then I want to, I need to move. So please just let me finish today. I got to finish today. That's not to slight what you have to say, Jenny. I'm just saying I, got, I need you guys to give me grace and let me get through some scripture. Right. Go ahead. And I'm just going to add to this because you said Sozo is healed, restored, delivered, made whole. Preserved, kept, yeah. kept safe and sound. I want to hit that because kept means absolutely, positively kept. But sound, when you say this, I did I word search on that. It is trained and disciplined. It is it is a military stand. It is uh, to be so set right. with this thing that that nothing's going to move you. And he's he's pardon the country spit an image. Well, the gospel's okay. very militant. It says anyone in 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 uh, enlisted in the army of God. Anyone, any soldier enlisted in God's kingdom should no longer entangle themselves in the affairs of this life. There's, there's militant language all through the Bible. Sometimes we don't want to face because we're in, you know, don't let the love message be a cushy, woo love thing. It's, it's, it's something that really straightens and narrows your life. Right, well, where I'm going with this is we have to be so set in this thing understanding that we're saved so-so and understand all seven things that he just said because that means you don't wait you're not healed up there you're healed here you, you demand it okay it's well jesus said it he said go into the world and heal the sick we've turned the healing of the sick restoration when we go to heaven we've turned like the gift of the word of knowledge into just increased understanding instead of supernatural insight and things that like when I'm when I'm ministering to, like when when we were in Colorado I took a bunch of guys with me that were in leadership in Texas because Tom hooks us up with pastors and leaders it just makes sense so we got out of the car we're talking for a minute and a half to some people and I said oh my goodness you're not doing well you're really you got health really serious health stuff going on and he just looked in the wife's going, yeah. And I said, it's diabetes and it's really bad. She put her hand to her mouth and said, how do you know? That's a scriptural word of knowledge. That's Corinthians 12. We've reduced the word of knowledge to just increased understanding. We've reduced healing to, well, one day in heaven or doctors. I'm not against doctors. I've affirmed that yesterday. I've never preached against doctors. But there is a place for the power of the name of Jesus when he said, all authority, so you go therefore in my name. In Jesus' name be healed. There is a place for us to walk and see the glory of God revealed. Amen? It's just absolutely a given. Spirit, soul, and body. So if I know they're sick, I can go there. Some people say, yeah, but, but the sickness, that's only a part of their problem. They really need this. They really need that. I understand. But I see they're sick. What do you say we start there? And I'm totally cool with that. Now, why a lot of people aren't cool with that? They've been taught that they can't be healed until you fix all that other stuff. And I couldn't disagree more. Well, I've just seen it way too many times. I've just seen it way too many times. I've seen people with 
absolute bitterness to a topic in their life. I've seen the mercy of God triumph over the judgment they deserve and breathe on them and relieve their body in an area and then begin to access their heart. Where many of us are taught that until you deal with the bitterness, they can't be healed. I just couldn't disagree more. Jesus ministered under a law of sin and death. Not one person he healed was born again because he didn't even die yet. Everybody was unsaved. In fact, they put him on the cross and killed him even after he healed all those folks. And you might be amazed who was in the crowd deceived yelling Barabbas. They might even receive something from him. You just don't know. There was a lot of people there and they were stirred up. Jesus healed how many people that he prayed for? How many that came to him were healed? So everybody that came to him and everybody he pursued were healed across the board. Does the Bible teach that? Do you think any of them had issues? All of them. Do you think anybody had unforgiveness? Unbelief was for sure because they killed him on a cross and still didn't know who he was after he did all the good things. So belief isn't... Now when there was a few folks that popped up with faith... He acknowledges it because he wants all of us to live by faith. So of course he's going to hold faith high and say your faith has made you whole. But two-thirds of the time he healed, he didn't acknowledge their faith. Why? Because he healed them on his revelation and the love of God for the people. It's powerful. We're going to hit this real hard next week. Because I want to get into some of this stuff with unbelief and stuff. Because when you're, when you're out in public, you're going to run into every kind of expression of everything. I've had people get mad at me, stop soliciting me. Why are you trying to sell me your religion? Sell you my religion? Oh my goodness, I'm sorry you have that impression. Man, did I give you that impression? Yeah, what are you talking about? Oh my goodness, you don't. And right when you're standing talking, God will give you something for them. He'll just rock their world. <laughs> so what? But if, you get, if you're a coward, if you're just like, oh my God, forgive me. Well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm not, I know why I'm talking to them. I was in, I was in a cash register. I had a, I had a global student with me one time. I was at a cash register and it was cool because the global student, we got in the car and said, you taught me a lot today. Not that global taught him this, but they just had the impression, don't ever, if somebody's offended, you stop it right away. You don't want to make them more offended. Well, sometimes people are offended because they don't understand and you just need to give them understanding. You don't need to just run. Oh, offended. Devil, just make sure that everybody in front of you is offended and keep you quiet. And I remember we were paying for something and this lady, I said, hey, what's going on in the right side of your right foot? You got a misalignment of a bone. You got some. Did you see me walking? She got like indignant. Did you see me walking? You just saw me walking. I said, ma'am, you were standing right here at the cash register doing whatever you're doing. I haven't seen you walk at all. You had to see me walking. How would you know about my foot? Well, honestly, honey, Jesus showed me about your foot. So obviously you do have a situation with your foot. So we're right on track here, huh? And, uh, but you had to see me walking. Honey, I didn't see you walking at all. I said, I was just walking out talking with this fellow. We just turned the corner to pay. I'm sorry you think that. I heard that. Sometimes the Lord, well, why are you bringing up Jesus? Look, we're in, we're in Bass Pro Shops. You shouldn't be soliciting me anyhow. And she's like frustrated. And I said, Honey, soliciting, I'm not selling you anything. I'm just trying to love you. I leaned in. I said, isn't it amazing? I caught her eye. Isn't it amazing you and I, our whole life, are looking for love 
in its purest form. And isn't it amazing on the day it comes, we might push it away and not even receive it or see it for what it is. We all need love. Now, how about you let me pray for your foot? Because Jesus wants to come and heal it because he loves you. And I'm looking her right in the eyes and I, I wouldn't back down. And she just got like this and tears filled her eyes because she realized how obstinate she was being. And there was something the Spirit of God was doing, not just my words. There was something the Spirit of God was doing inside of her. And I leaned out my hand real gentle and slow. I said, so what do you say? Would you let him love you today? And she went. And as soon as I took her fingers, man, I feel him now. It's just so good. Spirit of God went, shoo, and just healed her foot. Just healed her foot. And I said, roll it around, check it. Listen, can you pray for her? And she listed three things. She's telling me to leave her and not solicit her. Now I'm getting her prayer list. Now watch. Now watch. If I, if I am not confident in what's motivating me, if I'm just trying to sell her, if I'm just out there doing step one, two, three, power evangelism, now she's outside the lines of my book and I'm in trouble and I better head to the car and I wonder what I'm doing wrong. Everybody's an individual. Everybody's unique and special. And God loves everyone. There's no textbook to love. There's no guidelines in the sense of one, two, three, do this, this, this. That is robotic and that is just human. That's not, it's not like that. You don't use the line that worked on somebody because it's not a method. It didn't work on them. You love them. So, hey, that worked pretty good. Let's try it on them. Isn't that what we're notorious for? Do you know that happened in a lot of the forms of ministry? Oh, God, I'm going to get in trouble. You got the tape running. <laughs> There's a lot of forms of ministry out there that men have watched the gifting of the Holy Spirit work and said, wow, that was so effectual, so important. Let's turn it into a ministry. And it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. You follow him. You don't ask him to follow you. You're not. Holy Spirit will reveal something and heal something in somebody's life. And we think now everybody needs that. That works so great. That was so effectual on Billy. Let's just run everybody through that thing. It was a gift. It, God knows Billy. It was right on time. It was for Billy. I was in the room with a leader years ago and I was talking to a guy on the phone and I hung up and the leader said, I was saved two and a half years. And the leader said, where did you get that? How did you? Because I've never been to Bible school, seminaries. I've never been nowhere. I've, I have been with Jesus. I am not ashamed to tell you that. But he's, he's like very educated, very trained. And he said, where, where did you get that line of counsel? And I said, he's the spirit of counsel in light. The Lord, what do you mean? I don't. He said, but what did you just say to that person? Repeat that because that was so profound. I was sitting there thinking, where did you get this wisdom for this man? And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, he said, what did you? And I said, I couldn't repeat what I said. And they got frustrated and said, oh, come on. You just said it five minutes ago. I want to write this down. And I looked and I said, right, there's the difference. I don't want to write it down. Because it's not a store bank of knowledge. It's the heart of love. Yes. I said, if I write it down, I'm going to try to give Bobby what was spoken for Billy. Wow. 
And Bobby doesn't need what God spoke to Billy. Bobby needs what God's speaking to Bobby. So I really don't want to repeat it back because I really don't know exactly. It just came out in the spirit. And this person threw their glasses and began to cry. Yeah, because we got to figure everything out. We live very intellectual. Not that intellectual is bad. It's just if it gets in the way, you know what I mean? Your intellect is a gift if it's handled properly. Amen? Uh, <laughs> amen. Okay, so God didn't send his son into the world to what? Condemn the world, but that through him the world might be what? Saved. Okay, now we, now it's, I, I'm sorry, I'm just, let me just preach here for a little. I don't know, I remember somebody had a hand up, but I, I wasn't ignoring you. I just, I need to, I just know I saw a hand somewhere. But if you could just hold that. And love me a minute. Mark 16. He who believes is baptized shall be what? Verse 17. And these signs will follow who? Those who believe. The people that come through the message. So the disciples are now going to reproduce themselves after their own kind, be fruitful and multiply. True? So they went into the world and go heal the sick. Cleanse the leper, cast out devils, and raise the dead and cast out devils. So now they're going to do that. And the ones that believe through their message are going to do what? The same exact things. It's right there in your Bible. So if every promise is to the believer and God's word is true and you were the enemy of God and his people, what would you try to scramble and get confused in the Christian's life? His belief system. And you would press hard to get the circumstances of life to define what they believe and the unanswered prayers and the loved one dying and you'd play on the intellect and the way that seems right to man and the ability of the human soul to intellectualize everything now that they ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And try to confuse and muddy the word of God. Come on. If you're the enemy, what are you going to attack? The belief system. Because did you hear that every one of these promises I read is to the believer? Do you know believe means fully convinced and persuaded? Unchangeable belief means it's established, you're settled, you've arrived. You follow me? Are you seeing that this kind of scripture, look, we just went through Matthew and two scriptures in Mark. Uh, Luke 10, real quick. Oh God, I hope I can do this quick because I'm in trouble with time. Help me, help me, help me. I think it's cool that in Luke 10, he sent out 70 more, not just his disciples, which is very prophetic to me. He's pointing to the day when we can all walk like this because he said, all authority is given to me. Now you go, therefore. So the 70 returned with joy, 18. I saw, don't ask me questions on this right now, please. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample. This is what I want you to catch. Let's just put it this way. Satan is a withering branch coming to nothing. Jesus took back his authority. The fact that Jesus gave authority to these 70 and to his 12 means he's Lord. That even though Satan deceived Eve and Adam followed Eve instead of God and Adam handed over the authority and the glory of the earth to, to the devil, the earth is still the Lord's and the fullness thereof and Jesus is there and Satan can't stop him. How's that? So whether he saw him fall out of heaven when he rose up in pride or whether saw him fall that day 
It doesn't matter. He's fallen. Okay? (laughs) I have my own personal beliefs and stuff, but if your personal belief doesn't change the big picture, don't fight over it. Post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. We fight over that stuff. Build camps and dig channels and run water in that's not from God. Call it a river. (laughs) Fight over that stuff. And none of it has anything to do, what you believe about that has nothing to do with who you are today filled with the Spirit and what God wants to do. And we fight over some of this stuff that does not change the big picture. And we ought to quit fighting over that stuff because it's deceiving us from why you're filled with Holy Ghost. So what are we going to do in the four major dispensations of end times? When Jesus is all taking us up in the twinkling of eyes, one of the groups is going to be yelling through the clouds, I told you so. <laughs> Come on, that's ridiculous. And then you stand before God and found that you spent your whole life trying to be right and you miss loving the world around you. And your knowledge puffed you up and love never edified. Whoa. That will preach, won't it? That's what I got. <laughs> Look, you saw Satan fall like lightning. The key is he fell like lightning. Behold, I give you. And then look what he says right on the heels of that. Why? Because Jesus is Lord, right? What did he do? He gave what? Authority. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power. Whose Bible says I give you power to tread? Okay, the word power there in the Greek is the word authority. The word power for the enemy is like a dunamis. So it's Satan. Who knows that Satan isn't a lion without teeth? Who knows if you don't understand, he can destroy you. I've heard preachers say he's roaming around like a roaring lion. See, he doesn't even have teeth. No, he has teeth and he can bite hard if you don't understand. He can actually kill you. Okay. I'm not boasting in Satan. I'm just saying that's not just be deceived. It's just let's live diligent and let's give our life to God. Because it's not like Satan doesn't have power. He's done a lot of harm. Just look around. You can see that he's doing a lot of stuff. But here's the deal. You have authority over his power. That's what Jesus is saying. Does Jesus affirm that he has power? Doesn't he? I give you authority over his power. Now watch. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Let me tell you what that means. When you get hurt, it means something's gotten into your heart and changed the truth inside of you. I could lose a natural battle and not be hurt if I haven't lost my sight and perspective. Sometimes we think Jesus said it'll never hurt me. uh, Nothing will ever hurt me. Why am I going through this then? That mentality is what's hurting you. Not the trial. Are you following me? We got to get this point right here, church. Is there trouble in the earth? Is there tribulation? Does the same wind come to the wise and the foolish? So is the wind what reveals your hurt or the fact that the house didn't budge? When's the house budge? When you change what you believe. And when you take personal adversity. That's when you're hurt by it. 
Did Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, lose anything by getting thrown into the fire? But we make getting thrown into the fire a real big deal, and that's almost a loss to us, the fact that we were even in the fire. And the fact that they were in the fire means God was affirmed 10 times more, and when they came out, there was so much more of a burning in their heart, a passion. It never was about the fire, was it? It was about what they believed. But Satan uses the fire to get you off of what you believe and take the adversity personal. And then you never grow in faith. Was it ever about the fire? If it was about the fire, Jesus would have put it out immediately. He left it burn and left his boys right in the center of it. Took off their bonds and vans and left them be free right in the center of blazing flame. Why? Because he's Lord over the fire. Why does he have to put it out? He doesn't show respect to the fire. He's Lord over the fire. It's not always about the fire going out. It's about knowing who you are in the middle of it because you know who God is. And then you'll come through without the smell of smoke. And the only way people can tell you're in a fire is because there's extreme passion in your heart. Because now your philosophy is your reality and your doctrine is yours. And here we are running from fire and we should be running to God. Here we are using the gospel to get out of trouble. When trouble is not your problem, it's failing to see truth in the face of it. In the world you have tribulation, in me you have peace. Be of good cheer, I've over. Well, if you've overcome the world, Jesus, why do I have trouble? In me you have peace. What's he changed? Your perspective. The why behind your life. The reason you wake up in the morning. And that's what takes you through everything. So I'm not picking a fight, but bring it on. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not asking for trouble. I'm just not afraid of it. Because of my perspective, you love not your own life unto death. You're alive for his name. You follow me? I know you got something, Trish. I'm just asking you to hold it for me, honey. Watch this. Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents, scorpions over how much power? Oh, my goodness. So please don't get a theology that Jesus subcontracts the devil. Well, the church preaches as if Jesus subcontracts the devil to do stuff that he wouldn't do. Well, you know, well, God's just, you know, allowing the devil to da, 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 da. No, he put authority in you, gave you a shield to quench all fiery darts. It doesn't say, unless, of course, God's ordained the darts. We're very confused in the church on this stuff. It's a cop-out. It's been taught. But you know why it's been taught? Because it's strategically snuck in. Because it's not yes and amen. It's maybe so, maybe not. That means it derived from the flesh. We taught all this, right? And it's to get consternation and doubt and unbelief prevalent. So now we don't know whether we're coming or going. We don't even know if God does or doesn't. We don't know if he will or won't. So now when we pray, we're just people reduced to being driven by need instead of knowing our God. Come on. How much authority? Over how much power? Wow. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, don't get on a power trip and don't get caught up in yourself. Don't rejoice in this. Don't let this be the reason you rejoice. You rejoice that you returned home, that you're mine, that you're back in the kingdom, that your names are written in heaven. That's what he's saying. You rejoice that you've been made right with God. And the reason this is possible is because you're sons and daughters like you were created to be. You following? Well, that's why you don't draw your life from your ministry. You draw your life from him. 
and you minister because you're full of life. <laughs> okay, let me, I'm really running late here, so I'm trying to hurry. That's why I'm not taking comments or questions. I'm almost not even looking up at you all. But. Okay. Uh, John chapter 5. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. Verse, well, we'll just... And after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, John 5. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. Okay? They're under the law of sin and death. Jesus' blood isn't shed. There's no... There's no removal of sin. There's a yearly atonement, an extreme consciousness of sin, and a knowing that I'm going to fail again and again and again, and I'm going to have to year after year have the priest go in on my behalf and go through the... They tie bells on this guy, man, and, and, like, and like sometimes a rope, and, and, and it's just... <laughs> the pool fell out if he didn't make it through the ceremony, right? If he just did something other word. It's, 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 it has to do with holiness and perfection and revealing. It tutored us to the place that we could not possibly live up to the standard of our created value without grace and without Jesus. We need a Savior. It's all good. It all has great purpose. So, but here's God in the middle of that and sin consciousness still proclaiming, I'm Jehovah Rapha and I'm the God that healeth thee. Legally speaking, they have no right to be healed. They're guilty of sin. They have a right to die. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. His goodness turns men to change, right? So he's still Jehovah Rapha, isn't he? Was he way back in, way back? Was he way back in Exodus? He still is now. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Now watch, watch the language. Then who? When the water was stirred, who what? Whoever. Whoever, Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of what? Whatever. So it's a whoever, whatever gospel when it's Jehovah Rapha. Uh -huh. <laughs> it wasn't that one got to the water first. He said, whoa, 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 wait. It's not my administrative will for you to be healed today. Stop. You don't realize that sickness. I'm working character in your life and you shouldn't be healed. You need to bear that sickness. Let my grace, because I'm making you a better Christian. You get in the water. No, whoever got there was healed of what? Whatever. whatever. So it's a whoever, whatever gospel. Whoever says whatever they say. Mark 11, we just read it. Man, you got to see this stuff. So Jesus heals this man. He's there 38 years. Jesus heals him. Do you want to be made well? That sounds to me, I always puzzled over that question because I am amazed the guy didn't get in Jesus' face. What, are you some kind of wise guy? You think I'm laying here because I don't want healed? What he was trying to get the man to do is say, I have no one to help me. Because that's exactly why Jesus is here. And when the man said, sir, I have no... The man stayed humble, didn't he? Come on, some of us would not have answered that question so well. What are you, some kind of crackpot, wise guy? I'm laying here 38 years sick at this pool waiting for it to stir. Can't you see? I can't even get into the water as soon as I make my way. Somebody already jumps in first. What do you mean do I want to be healed? What do you think? I'm laying here because I just... You see what I mean? He didn't do that. He said, sir, I have no one to help me. I have no one to put me in the pool. I have no one. 
Boy, if you could just let your life get to a place where you say, I have no one but you. Come on, guys. I have no one but you. No one that could care for my state like you. No one that could instruct me like you. No one that could be wisdom in my life like you. No one that could love me like you. If you would just settle on that, you wouldn't look for the things that only he can be everywhere else. Oh man, I'm preaching good. I have no man to put me in the pool when the water's stirred, but while I'm coming, someone steps in what? Before me. Jesus said, watch. Jesus didn't say, well now listen. I need you to bear with me here. I'm really the son of God and I was from the beginning and I always was with God and man fell and Adam ate the tree and now the just are called to live by faith. So it's important that you understand who I am and that you believe. Shake your head if you believe that I'm the Christ. Good, good, okay. Now listen, you, you, we need to get your heart clear. You're probably carrying issues, offense. You probably have unforgiveness in your life and I can't heal you and forgive you unless you forgive. So uh, is there anybody? Run through your life right now. Da, 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 da. Oh, I'm on this thing, ain't I? Jesus didn't even introduce himself. Jesus' love is way greater than all that. It just ran everything over like a freight train. When the man said, I have no one to help me, sir. Jesus is gone. Oh, yes, you do. And he was so overwhelmed with love. He didn't even give him his business card. He didn't even tell him, now look, I'm the pastor around the corner. Make sure you come and see us. <laughs> and bring your tithe. <laughs> he, look what he said. The man said, I'm coming. Another steps in before me. Immediate response. Rise. Take your bed and walk. That's all he said. What did the man do immediately? He was made well, took his bed and walked. That day was the Sabbath. He must have literally walked. There's no more conversation between him and Jesus. He just took his bed and went, oh, I don't know where he went. 38 years, he's there for who knows how. I don't know where he went, but he was walking, baby. <laughs> and he's going through the temple, and it's a Sabbath. Oh, lay down, get sick again. It's the wrong day. <laughs> ah, so the Jews, religion, looked up and said, wait. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. It's the Sabbath. He answered and said, the one who was made well, the, or the one who made me well said, take your bed and walk. And they said, who is this man that said to you, Take your bed and walk. Who's the culprit that healed on the Sabbath? Isn't it amazing that the Sabbath was one day a week? The man's sick 38 years. So you have 38 years with six days out of seven that the Pharisees could have stopped everybody from getting in the pool and just lifted the poor fella in there one day. But they're too busy with their phylacteries in there and best seats in their notoriety. That they're bankrupt of love. Why didn't the leaders just go out and say, listen, Billy's been here longer than anybody. That water's going to stir and the next time it does, I want you and you to lift him in there. None of that's on the earth. You know why? 
Because the fall of man and every man's for himself. But greater love hath no man than this, he'll lay down his life. So Jesus comes and says, you've got somebody to help you. You don't know who I am, but I know who you are. I saw you before time. Get up and walk. Pow. Here's my point. The man didn't know who healed him. The one who was healed did not know who it was. Now, I've heard preachers contest healing and say, you need to be careful about this going and just praying for everybody. Jesus is standing with five porches of sick and only healed one. It's not the will of God to heal all because what about the other five porches of sick? He only healed one. Well, maybe we ought to read our Bible and stop being quick to speak and come against something. The one who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus withdrew himself. Now we see why there was no more conversation. When the man jumped up from 38 years sick and everybody knew who he was, but nobody was willing to help him and every man wanted healed before him. When he leaped to his feet healed and everybody saw it and the hysteria's breaking out, Jesus took off. Why? Because they always want to make him natural king. They always want to make a fuss over the man and try to get him to reign in the natural and he was here to be our king in the spirit. And it tells you that in your Bible over and over. That's why he told men, tell nobody of this. Don't tell anybody what I just did for you. Because a couple times he had to withdraw because of the pressure they were trying to make him king and he had to disappear from their midst. So watch. So Jesus withdrew from the multitude being in that place. So did he not heal the five porches because he didn't want to or because he was slipping away from the crowds at the time? What would have happened this isn't speculation. What would have happened if those five porches of sick would have looked and saw that man get up and go, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus and five porches. Jesus, have mercy on us. Oh my goodness, hands down. That would have been a blowout healing revival. <laughs> you show me one person that cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me that didn't get something. Wonder if those five porches would have caught it yeah. and cried out. He just said, oops, crowds or no crowds. <laughs> Thank God we don't have one scripture saying the stuff we say, or we'd have to believe it. Like, well, I can't heal all of you guys. It was just the will of God to heal him today. It's not quite your time. Maybe sometime. Keep your heart up, guys isn't it amazing a man got healed of 38 years of sickness and didn't even know who Jesus was how could he have had faith how could the man have had faith he didn't even know what happened okay you gotta back up I'm trying to go forward and now we're backing up Go back to Luke 10 quick. In verse 8, he tells them to go into the city, eat such things that are set before them. In other words, just be thankful, receive. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 9, this is when he sends out the 70. Look what's on his heart. Look at the first thing he says. Remember Matthew 10? Go preach saying the kingdom's here. What's the first thing out of his mouth after he said the kingdom's here? 
What's the first thing out of his mouth in Luke 10? Do you think healing the sick is important to Jesus? It's the first thing out of his mouth all the time. Why? Because sickness is an effect of the fall. It's connected to sin. And he's here to wipe it all away. You following? Watch. Heal the sick there. What sick? The. Come on, this is Jesus. Don't complicate this. And say to them, do you hear he reversed the order from Matthew 10? In Matthew 10, he said, go preach saying the kingdom's here and heal the sick. And, and when he had added to 70 and sent the 70, guess what he said? Look, just go heal them and then tell them the kingdom's here. So it's one or the other. I found in today's society, Luke 10 is way more effective than Matthew 10. Because people have just enough religion to debate with you. Even though you're trying to bring them something good. They will try to talk you into why they should stay sick even though they don't want to be sick. They will get religious and tell you, well, this is my thorn. Or God doesn't always say, well, it would be great if he'd choose to. But, so if he does, he will. I don't need you to pray. I have others praying for me. Thank you. Well, I pray. Well, cool. I'm glad you pray. That's awesome. We ought to pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Look, since we have the same family and we have the same spirit and we're one in Christ and you're actually my brother, man, I'd be honored to believe with you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing you go door to door and you knock on doors and people answer their door and you talk to them about Jesus. He says, Look, I have my church. Thank you. Click. It just means that we're frustrated, we've been touched wrong, we're hurt, we're taking life personal. You knock on my door, start talking about Jesus, even if you had a twist, I ought to love you enough to stand there and listen and maybe even impart something to you and maybe even bless you. I wanted the Mormons, they would come into my house all the time when I wasn't saved. And I would just say, I got my beliefs, thanks, click. And it was a cop out. Now I'm saved, I want the Mormons to come to my house so bad. I'm like, I just want to love on these guys and talk to them and find out where they're coming from. I didn't want to confront them. I didn't want to challenge them. I finally had a way. I could finally respond from the heart instead of just slam the door on them. And one day, I'm moving this girl. A whole bunch of Christians were moving this girl. And, I, and they were talking about these Mormons came to the house. And I said, you know, I never had. They come to my house all the time when I wasn't saved. And I didn't have nothing to say. So I'd slam the door on them. Now, I would love them to come to my house. They'd never come to my house. <laughs> That afternoon, my doorbell rings at some Mormons. The same afternoon. And I had the time of my life talking to them. And they shared, and it's good to know the word, because they're trained to respond to everything you say. And it's amazing they couldn't respond. Those two boys were shaking on my porch. Shaking. You should have no idea how powerful it was. I crawled over my railing as they were backing out, leaving. They were heading. I said, no, boys. I come right out off my railing down over the yard. I said, this is the neighborhood I live in. I pray for. I said that I love on. I said, I don't want you. I don't suggest you knock on any more doors when you're so shook in what you even believe. I said, boys, you've been knocking on doors and yet you're not rooted and grounded firmly. What you say you believe can be altered. I said, right now, you're not sure. Please don't knock on another door. And I'm following them down the street. <laughs> I was. I'm not exaggerating. And the next day, two senior elders are at my door. And tears came in my eyes. And I said, I would like to rejoice that you're here. But I understand you're only here to find out what I said that so shook your little disciple boys so you can better train them 
against a fellow like me. It's the only reason you're on my porch. And I had tears in my eyes. They weren't on my porch because they wanted to hear and understand. They were on my porch to better train and prepare. I said, well, then let's get it on. <laughs> they came to my Bible study. They came to my house, home church thing that we did the, the night where we met at the house. And I invited them. And here's, how I, here's what I asked them. I said, you give me one thing you have in Jesus that I don't have. I'm going to tell you in a minute what I have in Jesus. Then you give me one thing I don't. And I'm all ears. And after I was done, they told me why I couldn't have those things instead of tell me what I didn't have. And then I said, well, maybe you ought to come to my house tonight and you'll see I have all those things. See, it sounds like a challenge. It's not. It's Elisha and Mount Carmel. God moved in word of knowledge. Some people got filled with Holy Spirit. We never prayed. We just come and fill them Holy Spirit, etc. We never laid hands on them or anything. They're over there. Another lady's foot gets healed. We had a word of knowledge and they just sat there like this the whole time. I would like to say it turned out better, but they just hugged me and I held them. I blessed them and thanked them for coming to my house. And you're always welcome here. And I smiled and they left. I have never seen a Mormon on my street door to door since that day. I think we're axed off the map or something. But that's okay because it's my neighborhood. So if they didn't convert, if they didn't yield, if they didn't, then at least they're not on the block. I'd rather it have been the other way but they're not on my neighbor's doors anymore. I've not seen them one time since then. Guys, that's 14 years ago. <laughs> okay, here's my point. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come. If he's telling you to heal the sick, is it the will of God to heal the sick? Okay. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come. If you pray for somebody to be healed, isn't it neat? Watch this. Okay, Susan, this is you and God in a, in a room right now, okay? And God comes and says, Susan, I want you to go and heal the sick. And, and then now Susan's trying to be real humble. And she says, but Lord, I can't heal anyone. It's you that heals them. I can't heal. Susan, I want you to go heal the sick. Heal the sick, Susan, and tell them the kingdom. But Lord, it's not me. I can't heal anybody. Who am I? Susan, heal the sick. Who's telling us to heal the sick? Is it us that heals? It's him that heals. But he wants you to see that him and you are one. And that when you go, he goes. Where he is, there you will be. Where you are, there he will be. So he's literally so amazing and humble to consider the heavens and earth that he's saying to Susan, even though he knows it's his power, he's saying to Susan, go heal the sick. When apart from him, she can't heal a flea. <laughs> You get it? I mean, you might be able to take a little bird and a popsicle sticks and nurse it down the road. But he says, heal the sick. Now watch. If you heal them before you even proclaim anything, they just might be like the man at the pool and know nothing. So then all the complications and hindrances to healing might be exaggerated. If the word of God's true. He told us to heal them, not do a background check. <laughs> and after we heal them, tell them the kingdom's here, and that's where their background can get ministered to. But what's first? Heal them, not a survey. Yeah. 
just go heal. What did Jesus do to the man at the pool? His heart's so moved with compassion and he hears the guy's story and he hears his answer and he says, man, get up and walk. In Luke, he's telling us to do the same exact thing. I'll close with this because I'm out of time. Do you realize that I only made it to John with these scriptures and we got the whole rest of the epistles? Do you know how many promises are in the epistles? Do you know how many places I could go that show that we're the body of Christ and it's an unlimited thing going on here if we'll just understand? But I want you to go to John 15 and we'll close with this one and I'm done. Okay, I'm just going to jump in. I usually read stuff in context pretty full, but I, I, it's 12 o'clock. I need to jump in here. It won't do injustice. It's just clear. John 15, look at verse 7. This is amazing. This is a promise. I color code my Bible, so when I read stuff like this, I make it all orange. Everything orange in my Bible is a promise, but it's red letters. It's from Jesus. Watch this. I mean, you could, you could read John 14... And just freak out. Because John 14 is talking about all that we can do in him. Amen? It's like the greater things. You know that verse, right? That's John 14. The things I do, you'll do, and greater things because I go to the Father. Now watch this. If, verse 7, John 15. If you abide in me. That means remain, dwell, and live. If you keep your identity secure in me and you know who you are in me and my words live, dwell, and remain in you. You see how this is all about renewing the mind and keeping your identity clear that Jesus had no identity crisis or insecurity? Do you understand Jesus was rejected by men constantly and didn't have insecurity? It's because he was love. He knew who he was. True? Listen to this promise. If you remain, dwell, and live in me, and my words remain, dwell, and live in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. How can God say a promise like that? Because when you live, dwell, and abide in him, and his word lives, dwells, and abides in you, your heart and his heart become one, and the desires of your heart come from him, and you'll be in agreement with his will, and you'll see through compassion, and you won't be out of bounds. It's simple. If you truly delight in the Lord, the Bible says if you delight in the Lord, he will what? Give you... Okay, that doesn't mean that I see this hot car over there and I just have to have this car. It's a desire and I go, Lord, I worship you, I delight in you, you're amazing, you rock, you're the number one desire of my life, you're the Lord Almighty God. What it means is, is I delight in him and see the beauty of who he is and become one with him and enter into the honor of who he is. He starts to rise up the desires in my heart. And my heart and his heart are one. So I'm not using the Lord to get stuff. I'm one with him. And if he abide and I abide in one another. See, we're the bride and Todd and I were laughing. We were talking about marriage and consummation and some teachings and stuff. And he said, well, 
I'm married to the Lord. This thing's already consummated. I'm in him and he's in me. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's a spiritual truth. We're in one another. We're one. Amen? So we got what we got today covered. Next week we're going to do a lot more teaching training. We might cover a couple more verses. So I hope you're here. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's bless this time together. This is to honor Jesus. That's why we stand. Just It's a sign of honor. We're just going to honor you, Lord. Father, thank you. You're causing us to see and understand and comprehend. Thank you. You're building us up in truth. What a promise to close. If I abide, live, dwell, and remain in you and see myself through you and keep your word in me and let your word live, abide, and dwell in me, none of my words fall to the ground when I speak. You're moving because I'm one with you. That's amazing. Father, thank you. Cause us to live as one and walk as one and manifest your image in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Awesome. Have a great weekend.